0: Cup wants to redefine the way you look and feel in your underwear, one well-fitting bra at a time. Shop Cup's collection of best-selling bras today. Visit shopcup.com, shop C-U-U-P.com, and use Cup 15 at checkout for 15% off your purchase.
1: Did you know that a business's location is one of the top factors in its success? In Ohio, we work to help you succeed through our highly ranked workforce, development-ready sites, and business-friendly environment. Explore how Ohio is for you and your business at jobsohio.com slash success.
2: Free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show.
3: As the clock strikes 13, it's Monday, the 12th of September, year of our Lord 2022. Day 912 of this particular emergency. But of course, we have another emergency that is in view. Yesterday was the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And as Jason Barker pointed out on Saturday's show, he said uh, about that. uh, 9-11's anniversary is going to be 911 days after Trump signed his executive order that has been the basis of this medical martial law, but the two of these things began in tandem in 2001. And so we're gonna talk about both of these shoes that have dropped on us. Uh, how many people have been killed by the Twin Towers? How many people have been killed by the Twin Injections? Stay with us. We're gonna bring this together for you, and this is going to be our 9-11 review show. Of course, we're gonna talk about some other things as well. But we're gonna focus on this government conspiracy theory 21 years on stay with us Well the narrative was that we had men from caves who flew very precisely flew hijacked commercial airliners into uh, buildings in New York, into the Pentagon, into the very window, by the way, of the office where they were investigating trillions of dollars missing. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about that. I have a personal story about that. Uh, But uh, we were told that that all happened and um, nothing to be suspicious about, even though you have had, in the um, intervening years, you've had uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth talking about the collapse of the building and uh, how the government narrative is not possible you've also had pilots for 9-11 truth talking about how the government narrative of those planes that they flew these pilots who have flown these planes some of them flight instructors for these planes for years so you can't fly those planes at that speed at that altitude the air's denser uh, it doesn't uh, fly that fast. But, but interestingly enough, on the anniversary of this story, the 21st anniversary of the story, we actually have a video of Taliban pilots flying a commandeered hijacked vehicle. Here we go. There's a helicopter straight into the ground. A Black Hawk helicopter crashed straight into the ground. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, that's what happens when men in caves uh, try to uh, take over uh, air vehicles. The American Black Hawk, hel- Black Hawk helicopter, uh, as they were training, uh, flew it straight into the ground. Uh, Biden failed not just to rescue every American, but he also left behind a massive uh, stockpile of uh, trophy weapons worth billions of dollars. I wonder if he left any commercial jets behind for these people. Well, it turns out he left quite a bit 75,000 vehicles, 600,000 weapons, 200 aircraft. Interestingly enough, $85 billion worth of things were left behind for the Afghans. About the amount of money that he's going to give to the IRS. You know, IRS has got a budget right now of, of $12 billion. He's going to give them an additional. $80 $80 billion. He's going to increase. He's going to give them a bonus. that's like seven times what their current entire budget is. But, you know, it's about the amount of uh, money that he left behind for the uh, Taliban in Afghanistan. Uh, a Gateway Pundit has a complete list. Just listen to this. Uh, this is what you can buy if you have the kind of money that uh, Biden is going to give to the, um, to the IRS. I pointed out how large it was compared to the military budgets, the entire military budgets of most countries. There's only a handful of countries that have a military budget that is bigger than $80 billion. He left 85 billion for the, for the uh, Taliban, but, um, he's giving that kind of money, as a bonus in addition. I mean, they'll have a $92 billion uh, budget. Uh, he's uh, giving that kind of uh, money to the IRS to go to war with you and I. And I think it's particularly over cryptocurrency. But here's, here's what that kind of money can buy, even with expensive military equipment. 2,000 armored vehicles, including Humvees and MRAPs. 75,989 total vehicles. Ford Rangers, Ford F-350s, Ford Vans, Toyota pickups, armored security vehicles, etc. 45 Black Hawk helicopters. Well, make that 44 now. Uh, 50 Scout attack choppers. Scan Eagle military drones. 30 military version Cessnas. Four C-130s. Four C-130s. <laughs> That's huge. 29 Brazilian-made Super Tocano ground attack aircraft. Over 208 aircraft total, at least 600,000 small arms, things like M-16s, uh, uh, M-24 sniper systems, and so forth, grenade launchers, 61,000 M-203 rounds, uh, 20,000 grenades, howitzers, mortars, thousands of rounds, 162,000 pieces of encrypted military communications gear. I wonder if those men in caves... Have any, <laughs> have any hackers working with them? Uh, 16,000 plus night vision goggles, the newest technology, night vision scopes, thermal scopes, 10,000, uh, 2.75 inch air to ground rockets, reconnaissance equipment, laser aiming units, explosive ordnance like Semtex, uh, detonators, C4 shaped charges, thermite, thermite. What could you do with thermite? Hmm. Um, <clears> hmm. <throat> Pallets with millions of dollars in U.S. currency. They got pallets full of U.S. currency just sitting around. What is going on with this, right? I mean, this is how America fights its wars and loses its wars. Uh, Millions of rounds of ammunition, including but not limited to. 20 million rounds of 762. 9 million rounds of 50 caliber. Um, large stockpiles of plate carriers and body armor, lots of heavy equipment, including bulldozers, backhoes, dump trucks, excavators. Here we are 21 years later. Uh, you know, that's, that's what's going on. And, uh, you can see the, uh, crack Taliban troops training with the aircraft. The conservative press, I'm very disappointed to see, has focused universally on supporting this narrative and wringing their hands that we just aren't protecting ourselves enough from terrorism saying that we're not teaching the lessons of 9-11 to our children what are the lessons of 9-11 you know john solomon who i have a great deal of respect for except for this a step back the 21st anniversary of 9-11 is where uh, the war on terror has faltered say, experts, and he is talking to people in Homeland Security and other places where they're saying, you know, we just have to do more. And what we see happening in Afghanistan, that's going to come back to bite us. And, uh, but, you know, they can't fly these Black hel- helicopters across the ocean. Can't fly them across town either. But, uh, you know, the border is open, and that is a risk, right? How could we have happened? How could we have handled that better, you might ask? Well, I was giving unsolicited advice (laughs) that was ignored by, uh, Trump ignored by Alex, who was talking to Trump all the time, apparently according to Alex. Uh, no, don't, don't question the big guy. Yeah. He's being misled by all these people around him. But you know, when I talk to him, I'm not going to tell him the truth. Yeah, that's, that's Alex's approach. But, um, uh, if you want to solve a lot of different campaign promises with just one move, you bring the troops home from Iraq and Afghanistan in an orderly way without leaving behind $85 billion worth of equipment. And then you put them and their $85 billion worth of equipment on the border as a deterrent that would have worked, that would have worked better than the wall. And there wouldn't have been anything Congress could have done to stop it. Frankly, Uh, instead they built some sections of wall, and even the places where they have sections of walls, I reported last week, you've got people with ladder crews, uh, the drug gangs, the human trafficking gangs. Guess what? They run up there and put a ladder on it, climb over it. Yeah, a piece of cake. It really is. Uh, they could go to a lot more trouble and build a tunnel underneath it, but uh, uh, to, just to have a wall with nobody around, that isn't going to stop anybody at the border. certainly isn't going to stop anybody that's a determined terrorist. It doesn't stop the determined drug cartels, and trafficking cartels. But that's what they're cheering. Uh, John Solomon, Breitbart, is telling us, again, about the border. And what Breitbart is doing is even worse in this particular instance. They're saying 9-11 hijackers overstayed their visas and they remained in the U.S. thanks to a loophole now used by 685,000 illegal aliens. Um, So the uh, narrative of the uh, Taliban who hijacked these planes and did all these things. Uh, that is being pushed out verbatim by John Solomon, by Breitbart. And then Breitbart uses this to argue that we should have biometric identification and IDs. And they, even in this story, go back and quote the 9-11 Commission, calling, they said, look at this, for 20 years, We've known that the solution to this is to have homeland security and to have biometric ID for everybody. That's what they're pushing. I have fought against these conservatives for the longest period of time when they come up with things like E-Verify. Yeah, we don't want them taking our jobs, so what we need to do is we got to have everybody with an ID, and you've got to use your ID and get permission from Washington in order to have a job. I said, are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? You're going to let them panic you over a, a border crisis that they created? They created this border crisis. And then they use that crisis to get you to beg for a national ID that is going to be used to get permission to work. How is this different from the vaccine mandates where you have to, have, you have to do certain things in order to have permission to work? Come on. This is what the conservatives are doing. Again, highlighting this report. Here's a recommendation. Look at this, even back 20 years ago. The Department of Homeland Security, property, uh, properly supported by Congress, should complete as quickly as possible a biometric entry exit screening system, including a single system for speeding qualified travelers. We can extend that to people who are flying on planes because you know they could uh, take out thousands of people. These terrorists that you just saw fly a Black Hawk helicopter straight into the ground. These people were so good, they were able to take out three buildings with only two planes. As I said, and uh, I did a Substack uh, article, our first Substack article on this. Put it out yesterday. Got it out late last night. Got, start, got a late start on it. Uh, so if you want to subscribe to uh, Substack, I'm going to start putting some articles up uh, because it's, uh, I need to do that in order to get some of this information out. Um, It's going to be easier for some people to get some of the things if I put it in a text format rather than trying to find it in uh, three hours of a podcast. It gets buried. Or if uh, even if I pull it out in clips that are anywhere from 2 to 20 minutes long. I'm banned from all the big platforms I can't put my information out on YouTube I can't put it out on Facebook so I'm gonna try putting it out on Substack and we'll see what we can do that's a, it's a it helps us to manage a mailing list as well which we need to do uh, Karen spent a lot of time putting um, addresses of uh, uh, email addresses of people who had corresponded with us on uh, David Knight's show at protonmail.com putting them in to MailChimp And just as she was getting ready to do something with it, push the button, MailChimp banned us as well. Just like PayPal, just like Venmo, just like, uh, everybody. So we're going to try Substack. And I began with this because 21 years on, it still makes me really angry. What is happening with this? All the people fawning about how, uh, you know, the terrible loss and it was a terrible loss, but they're not investigating their murders. How do you respect people? If you don't investigate their murders, you want to talk about how much you love veterans and you don't want to investigate the, how we got lied into these wars. You want to talk about how much you respect people who were killed on 9 11, but you don't care enough to tell the truth. You want, you keep passing out these absurd lies, And that includes the people in conservative media. And when it comes to the people who are being killed by these twin jabs of Trump that he continues to brag about they don't even they pretend these people don't even exist. They pretend they didn't even die, let alone investigate their murders. They have uh, speaking of no investigation. You have the so-called 9/11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed has been waiting trial for two decades. Two decades. What are they waiting for? This guy is a mastermind. You know exactly how all this stuff went down, right? They tell us. We're not allowed to question any of it, no matter how ridiculous their conspiracy theory is. We're not allowed to question it. So you've got all the information. Why don't you get this guy, and why don't you execute him, right? Well, the problem is, is that if they want to execute this guy, He's going to defend himself pretty vigorously, and that's going to include discovery, isn't it? What are they afraid of you discovering about their lies?
2: That's why they won't put this guy on trial.
3: Now, when they talk about it with the New York Post, another conservative leaning paper, they say, well, you know, they're in a tight spot here, in a tight spot. They can't put this guy on because, you know, he was tortured, and that creates some problems. A former U.S. attorney in New York said um, the government's continued failure to finally put the terrorists on trial. He says it's an awful tragedy for the family of the victims, said David Kelly. Uh, he co-chaired the Justice Department's nationwide investigation into the attacks, said the situation in Gitmo was tremendous blemish on the country's history. Experts say it may be difficult to try Mohammed in a civilian court because of the enhanced interrogation techniques. It's called torture. Torture, torture that was uh, cheered by Donald Trump and Eric Trump, his son, when he was running for office. I had a big problem with that. I did several videos attacking Trump for that when he was running in 2015 and 16. And then when uh, Trump became president, he said we were lied into uh, the Iraq War with lies about weapons of mass destruction. Where'd those lies come from? They came from the torture, they came from The uh, CIA and the person who covered all that stuff up, he promoted to head of the CIA, Gina Haspel.
2: That, I think, in and of itself, really shows you Trump's history. How cynical and
3: two-faced he has been over all of this stuff. Knowing full well that uh, the lies were based on torture, he cheers torture. Knowing that we were pushed into a war by lies, he promotes the liar, the key liar, to be the head of the CIA. Uh, experts say it may be difficult to try him because of the torture. I'll call it torture. They call it enhanced interrogation techniques. As a matter of fact, the guy who wrote that, uh, who, who came up with that euphemism, uh, wrote a book called Company Man. He was a lawyer, and he said. I knew I wanted to work for the CIA when I was watching the church committee hearings and, and uh, their crimes were being exposed left and right. They did such a bad job of covering it up. He says, they need a good lawyer. Yeah. They need a criminal lawyer. (laughs) That's, that's an opportunity. That's a job opening for you, pal. And so he joins them and he's the one who comes up with these euphemisms like enhanced interrogation techniques. Critics say the methods, which included at least 183 instances of waterboarding, were tantamount to torture. Were they? Oh, yeah, well, critics say that. Uh, New York Post won't say that. New York Post is afraid to say that. Afraid to tell you the truth. How about that? Situation makes it unclear whether information Mohammed uh, said during that period would be admissible in a civilian court. While we use that the product of torture to go to war. So I guess you could execute him too, right? You execute a lot of people based on those lines, didn't you? A lot of American soldiers died as well, crippled physically, mentally from that war. So I guess, why not? Why not use the product of torture with that? Families of the victims say they just want closure. One said, it's important to me that that America finally get to the truth about what? happened and how it was done that a man whose 25 year old daughter was killed one of the hijacked airplanes crashed into the world trade center as the new york post puts it Uh, he has personally visited gitmo four times from his home in wisconsin to watch legal proceedings only to be disappointed he said i personally want to see this go to trial well the problem is that you've got a government that murdered your daughter and they don't want to have their lies and their murder and their crime exposed. The U S may negotiate a plea with the nine 11 architect. This is the headline from uh, WND: uh, Sheik Mohammed and other conspirators. You know, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, this guy, these people have been jailed. They've been tortured. They're in jail for 20 years. No trial. No trial. We had the Patriot Act that was passed. What do we have now? we got patriots who have been in jail for more than a year, tortured. Uh, Many of them are not going to get a trial for at least another year, year and a half. Uh, The plea deals may allow the five descendants to escape a potential death penalty. Uh, But, um, yeah, you know... um, When we
2: look at this, and you really, if you want to believe
3: that this is what happened, and uh, just ask yourself why they're not trying this guy. Uh, One of my favorite 9 11 interviews I did over the years was with a guy in the UK, Tony Rook. I'm going to play a clip here. Tony Rook was so angry about the BBC's involvement in all of this, you know, announcing that Building 7 had fallen when. Uh, it was still over the reporter's shoulder 20 minutes before it was pulled down the building that wasn't hit by a plane. Um, and, uh, Silverstein was heard yelling, pull it down and so forth. Well, he was very upset about that. He says, uh, you know, the BBC was a partner in this and, uh, it is wrong to contribute to a, terrorist organization if they're a partner if they partnered in this if they covered it up for example you know right i mean what what about the press who who covered for president trump throughout these lockdowns and the masks and the rewarding of the financial rewards to governors who uh, acted as tyrants and he kept the money flowing and he kept the money flowing to the hospitals and he kept fauci there and he pushed the vaccines and you had the people in the conservative press who covered for him Does that make them complicit in all of this? Does that make them accessories to the crime? You bet it does. And so what Tony Rook said was he said, well, if the BBC is a part of this whole thing, that makes them a terrorist organization. And I'm not going to pay my fee to them because in the UK, everybody that has a television set is required to pay money to the BBC. And so they took him to court. And here he is outside the court uh, as he protested paying that fee
4: I mean like I think like everyone else who knows about 9-11 I've been interested in this for at least eight years Um, and I just reached a point where uh, my father's a police officer was a a retired police officer and I I found a piece of legislation on the internet um, on the terrorism act because it seemed common sense to me that if you uh, you know, the illegal wars, which Nick Clegg has admitted, it's an illegal war. Uh, 9/11 is, is so obviously uh, suspicious. Um, so I thought, well, you know, as a taxpayer, whatever, you, whatever, you, however you pay your taxes, um, I'm, I'm funding the deaths of innocent people around the world and, and terrorism, which I suspect was was committed not by the 19 hijackers. I'm, I'm reluctant to say who did it, but I think it's fairly obvious when you think about it. And. Um, so I went into my local police station where my father used to work, and the only reason I got past the first herd of the front desk is that there was a, a chap there who worked with my dad, and he said, well, why are you here? And I said, I want to report a crime, and I told him what the crime was, 9-11 and all this stuff, and he said, and uh, why? And he said, what does your dad think about this? And I said, well, he's, he's, uh, he's seen it, and he's, he's not happy about the, the official story either. So they then got this... Uh, a very glamorous uh, police officer down sat there and questioned me didn't take any notes but i told her what i knew um passed her um, in the course of the next couple of weeks um, some evidence hard copy etc um, and asked her what she'd done with it and she confirmed it had been passed to division of intelligence at sussex police uh sometime later uh, about a year later somebody knocked on my door which was tv licensing I said, look, I'm not paying your license under Section 15, Article 3 of the Terrorism Act. Um, and they went through the procedure. I got the court summons, uh, went to court. They asked me if I was guilty. I said, no, I'm not guilty of having an appropriate license because the license isn't appropriate because I'll be funding terrorism. Because I know the BBC's covered up the true events of the day. And eventually we arrived here today and um, the result has been, and um, I have to say a fair judge in my opinion, but I have not been convicted. Uh, I have no fine. Uh, court costs 200 pounds, which you guys have very generously donated to. Um, and I have to behave myself and get a TV license, of course, which I'll be running down the post office tomorrow to buy. Um, but hopefully we've set a little a little precedent here where we might encourage people to go and do the same thing. And uh, you know, go to their police. Tell them about today. Um, give them the evidence. Uh, West Sussex Police have said they're investigating it, which they're obliged to do because the BBC had prior knowledge of a terrorist event, which, under I think Section 38 of the Terrorism Act, uh, they should have reported, which they didn't. And they've since given this, uh, since given us this impossible flannel about World Trade Center 7 collapsing due to an office fire, which uh, even in the NIST report says uh, fell at free-fall speed for eight floors in in 2.5 seconds. Now that is absolutely impossible without a controlled demolition being involved. Absolutely impossible. There's no arguments around it. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise because they're saying Isaac Newton is wrong and he's never been proved wrong. Unfortunately, the court uh, today, the judge didn't let us demonstrate all the evidence. We had some very good witnesses, Tony Farrell former intelligence officer for South Yorkshire Police, Niels Harrit, eminent scientist from Copenhagen, uh, Ray Savage, former counter-terrorism officer. Uh, who else am I living out? Peter Drew, wonderful chap, coordinated the uh, campaign against the BBC, trying to find out about Building 7, which they refused to talk about. Um, Adrian Mallet, former firefighter, engineer. I had a good load of witnesses lined up, but we weren't allowed to present them. That said, the judge has seen the evidence. He said he's seen the evidence. So we now know that for a fact that one judge in this country is very, very aware of what happened on 9/11. And I wasn't. I have no conviction. Do I you have, have no the conviction. judge's name, please? Uh, judge Stephen Nichols, I believe. I mean, it does come down to a question of morality. Um, and do we fund an organisation that tells us the impossible—that Building 7 fell because of an office fire—and we should stop paying them? Go to your police station, go to your lawyer, wherever you have to go. Go to the police, tell them um, Sussex Police have said it's with divisional intelligence. We'll get it to other divisional intelligence as well, wherever, wherever you live, get them there. and. Um, Your best, you know, because it's not an imprisonable offense, TV licensing. Um, and I got the lowest possible punishment today, I didn't get convicted. Um, the judge took the stuff seriously, and so he should, because you can't get any more serious than Isaac Newton. And the BBC have been lying, and if they
3: if they they want, all right, so that was uh Tony Rook. Now, he did not stop with that either. Uh, He's got, by the way, a a website, uh, Killing Anti because uh, (laughs) Anti is the nickname for the BBC. Uh, And he's trying to kill the BBC for their lies. But uh, he went on to do a film, and you'll find it there at his website, incontrovertible. As you heard him say, his father is a retired police officer. And um, he believes he's a man of integrity. And he has put together people who were firemen there in uh, the UK uh, saying, uh, you know, we have to ask questions as to if this could happen, if you could have a skyscraper like this uh, collapse in its own footprint with just a little fire in just a few hours like that, and it wasn't a controlled demolition, then why haven't we had an investigation of how the building was built? Why haven't we had any lawsuits about that? Uh, why haven't we changed, say, the firefighters, the procedures for handling a fire in a uh, skyscraper? Forty, uh, Building 7 was 47 stories high. Why haven't we changed any of the procedures for that? And so uh, he put together what he did in the film, Incontrovertible, Incontrovertible. He put together a jury that consisted of retired judges and uh, retired police officers and others who were used to hearing and examining evidence. So he put together a jury of these people, and he had the people that he was not allowed to bring to that trial over his BBC license. He had them present the evidence. He filmed it, and then he asked the jury to decide. And they rejected the government conspiracy theory completely, completely, as anybody who looks at it objectively will. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, talk more about this. Uh, We're going to talk about who killed more, the Twin Towers or the Twin Injections. We're going to talk about the victims. And we're going to talk about some of the key players, people like Rudy Giuliani. Stay with us. We will be right back.
0: You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of This place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi.
3: Mom, can we go
0: to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.
1: Football is back, and so is your chance to win with Bet River Sportsbook app. Featuring our new multi game same game parlay, combine the action of multiple same game parlays in one bet for more action and bigger payouts. Bet the spread, bet be over, bet player props, and more. Throw in daily odds boost plus award winning customer service, and it's a touchdown. Download it today. Must be 21 plus, available in Illinois only. Void or prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, help is available. Call 1 800 Gambler.
3: If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers, thedavidknightshow.com.
5: Just before 10 a.m., a call comes through from the Vice President.
6: I could hear a noise on the phone. I looked around, and I could see that the desk in front of me was uh, shaking. We didn't know what that was. Yes. I heard the chief of the department yell, the tower has come down. The tower has come down. Clear cloud is like gray smoke coming toward the building.
3: You know, even after the first building collapsed, there was information that was being played over the PA system and the other building, telling people the building is secure. The safest place is inside. Stay calm. Do not leave. Don't tell me this wasn't a setup. I'm not saying that person didn't know, but I'm just saying, when you look at these things falling into their footprint, I mean, just look online at building demolitions. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the, the tremendous death toll here, the uh, population of New York City at that point in time, uh, according to the 2000 census figures a year earlier, was about 8 million people. Uh, initially, they said 2,600 people had died. And, of course, that number has continued to increase, people dying slowly. But did they say when they said, well, you know, we got a population of 8 million people, uh, that's only 2,600 people who died? You saw that. You saw how tragic
2: that is. And yet, did they say it was rare? It was rare. You know, it was only 0.03%. You know, 0.0003.
3: So uh, it was actually very rare. Uh, More rare than the number of people who are having issues with the vaccine. Did they just dismiss it out of hand and say, well, who cares? We're not going to do anything about this. No, no. They carefully uh, eulogized that, honored those people, except they didn't investigate their deaths. But uh, they used it to restructure society, didn't they? And so the question is, uh, if they really do care about these people, why haven't they investigated their deaths? Um, It is a case that is not solved. The killers have not been brought to justice. And I'm not talking about this guy that they've held in jail and tortured for 20 years, they didn't torture him all 20 years, but they kept him in jail the entire time. Uh, and, and then the question is, what would you say if, um, instead of remembering the victims, if um, they celebrated the fact? You know, there were accusations that people were celebrating about this, and there actually uh, were people who did celebrate uh, perhaps not the thousands of people that Trump said, but there were clearly people who were dancing and celebrating about this. And so when President Trump said that uh, you know, there were thousands of people out there who were celebrating, they called him out on that number, not on the fact that there were people celebrating, but they called him out on that number. And interestingly enough, you had Rudy Giuliani, friend of Trump from the very beginning, the guy who was mayor there at the time, who, um, by the way, uh, his pushing people out there, there a lot of people who got exposed on that first day uh, to a lot of uh, dust, even if they weren't killed by the crash. They died, many of them, a slow death. But uh, Rudy was very eager to cover the whole thing up very quickly. And so just as they were telling people, the building is secure, and the second building before it fell, the building is secure, it's the safest place, stay inside, Don't leave. They were also telling people, it's okay to go in there. You don't even need a mask. You don't need a mask. Think about that. Here we are 20 years later. Uh, That's when they really could have used a mask. And so people were continually exposed to that. And it's not just that people were exposed to it on the first day with it falling, but it's people who were exposed to it during the cleanup, the uh, rapid destruction of evidence by Rudy Giuliani. You had uh, ten thousand cases of cancer in the, in the subsequent years, and at least uh, two thousand people. Forty percent of them, or sorry, twenty percent of them, uh, have already died of these cancers. But again, what if people were celebrating? Here's the exchange back and forth with uh, Rudy Giuliani, and uh, as he was questioned about whether or not there were thousands of people celebrating,
6: did have some reports? Yes of uh people celebrating that that day yes. while the towers were coming but out. if if there had been thousands that, of think, people i would have i would have i, I would have known would that have for known sure that.
5: yes so donald trump is therefore not telling the truth
6: well i think what he's doing is exaggerating right people were celebrating he's right about that I, but you're I, I saying I a see, handful of people i i didn't see any evidence of thousands uh, uh, nor have i seen it since then of thousands of people but Something. why are you? Why do you seem to be hedging? Why don't you just say no? That didn't happen. Well, because I don't know if it didn't happen. I mean, but you would have known if thousands no, of people no, in New Jersey. Wouldn't, I wouldn't have known. if it, if it happened uh, in, in some part of New Jersey. I think you don't I think, think that I would have, have come have, through your office. if I think thousands I, of extremists were celebrating. You I think, don't think I think, I, think I would, would have. have. I think I, I think I would have. And I don't think it happened. Um, he keeps saying it 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 it, it did. Uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to say he's uh, not telling the truth. Why about not? it. Why not? Because. Let him deal with it. Let him explain it to people. Let him show the evidence. Hey, it's
3: 4D chess. Come it, on.
6: Thousands of people were demonstrating. Any saw it on television. There must be some tape of it somewhere. If it shows up, it'll corroborate him. If it doesn't show up, it's going to make him look really bad.
3: Yeah, it kind of make him look like a liar. You know, it makes him look really bad. Yeah, when you look at this, everybody agrees, regardless of what the number is, that uh, people celebrating uh, these deaths is reprehensible, isn't it? Isn't it reprehensible? And again, when we look at this and we compare, uh, you know, the 2,600 people who died there and uh, hundreds more uh, who died elsewhere on that day, and uh, then thousands more who have died slowly over the years, it pales in comparison to the twin injections and the people like Donald Trump who celebrate that that is reprehensible that is a terrorist act.
6: three days less than nine months and it's great and you know what i believe totally in your freedoms i do you got to do what you have to do but
3: i recommend take
6: the vaccines i did it
3: It's good. stay in the building you're safe but yeah. you
6: got No, that's okay that's all right you got your freedoms
3: you're free to go if but, I want. To but i happen to stay in the building
6: if it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know, okay? Yeah. I know. I'll call up Alabama and say, hey. You when it what? kills you. But it is working. But uh, you do have your freedoms. You have to keep. You have to maintain that. You have to maintain that. And you got to get your kids back to school.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's the proud father of the vaccine. Nothing else like it. Nothing at all. Now, what do we say about people who kill people? Celebrate it. And then we have, again, uh, The Forgetting of 9-11 by Alexander Riley. You can find this on uh, Zero Hedge. It's originally from AmericanMind.org. This guy's take on it is he was very upset about the fact that he he says, I've written books on uh, United 93 and on and on. And he says, "Uh, when I was teaching at university on September the 12th, 2001, one of the other professors in my department posted an email message to the members of the department calling for peace and reconciliation with the people who had carried out the attacks and stated that our violent history was the cause of the retributive attacks against us and that we deserve this counterblow. Several others echoed and approved the sentiment. When I realized that no resolution of the impasse was forthcoming and fearing a bit that I was taking professional risks without any real possibility of a good outcome, I asked my interlocutors at least to remember that the destructive evidence of the attacks was still smoking in New York City and in Washington, D.C. and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, given that fact and that we didn't even yet know how many of our fellows were lying dead in those places. Perhaps they might measure their statements in that light for at least a little while. Well, I can understand him reacting that way. Uh, You you might say, well, if uh, the wreckage was still smoldering, and uh, that was one of the interesting things about how long the wreckage did smolder, isn't it? That was very telling. But um, if the wreckage is still smoldering, how did this guy solve it? How did he know who done it? Yeah, He knew, and the people who were defending, the people who had been flagged as the perpetrators, Uh, They were fighting over their culture wars and their ethnicities and their tribalism. Except that they were both wrong. How did they know who done it? They knew who done it because they were told by the government TV who done it. Solved. Instantly solved. Move on. And let's fight over our ethnic differences, right? He says, we will in these days around September 11 read a good number of claims of how we must never forget. I know what these claims look like as I have made them myself. I've spent a good deal of the last 21 years since the attacks doing work to keep alive the memory of the heroes of that day. Maybe you should ask who killed them. Yes, you should, uh, uh, you should honor them, but uh, we don't honor those who are killed by the twin injections, do we? And um, we don't keep their memories alive. We do everything we can to cover up their memories, and we do everything we can to cover up these crimes. And I think the way that you honor people is to honor, uh, honor them enough to care who killed them and to make sure that doesn't happen again. But this is a Substack piece that I published uh, today, or yesterday, actually. I call it The Other Shoe of 9-11. It dropped 911 days ago. Thanks to Jason Barker for pointing that out. Twin crises born months apart 20 years ago. September the 11th, 2001, and the sudden horrific death of over 3,000 people was used by George W. Bush to issue an executive order declaring a national emergency. The event, the emergency, the public panic provided the putative justification for a sweeping restructuring of American government and society. Just before the 21st anniversary of the executive order for a national emergency for 9-11, Biden just re-upped it again, declaring that the terrorist threat still continues, just as Trump did for four years, just as Obama did for eight years, and as Bush did for the remaining seven years. Biden will continue the 9-11 executive order for a national emergency as long as he's president and his successor, whether Democrat or Republican, will do the same. Coincidentally, September the 11th, 2022, is also 911 days since President Trump dropped the other shoe of 9-11 and declared on Friday the 13th, 2020, a national emergency by executive order for a pandemic that, according to public health officials, had at that time killed only one American. One American. Not 3,000. And you know, when we, let me just interject here. Uh, the the tragedy of nine eleven and the number of people who died, and I look at it, and as you know, we we look at the JFK assassination, the fact that the FBI coined the term conspiracy theory at that point in time to get anybody who questioned their narrative about Lee Harvey Oswald being the lone shooter. Uh, no matter what the eyewitnesses said, no matter what the films said, no matter the absurdity of what they had to say about a magic bullet, all the rest of the stuff. If you question any of that stuff, you are a conspiracy theorist. And then we were told that um, you know we have to uh, uh, follow along with this and uh, pay no attention when we look at the pandemic and you look at this second shoe that dropped and look at how it has transformed our society. Arguably even more so than what happened after 9-11. But it would be pretty, pretty, there was a lot of things that were done after 9-11 and for the last 20 years in the name of 9-11. But we're only just getting started on this one. And how did it start? It didn't start with the death of thousands of people. It started with the reported death of one person who we don't even know if that person died from COVID or from comorbidities. And we had uh, a lot of deaths of people reported who had comorbidities and other things. But uh, it just goes to show how they have ramped this thing up and how for 20 years they have prepared people to accept this. Going back to the uh, Substack article, I said, uh, one death is not a pandemic. It's not even an epidemic. But at the time, there was a global pandemic of fear and panic that was being weaponized by China and brought to your living room by an eager government and media. I refer to the pandemic as the other shoe of 9-11 to drop, since the two have been strangely united from 2001. Operation Dark Winter was the first of the big germ game simulations that would run annually, sometimes more frequently than once a year, for the next two decades, with Event 201 being the last one to run just before they ran the real game uh, for real. These games brought in high-level current and former officials, along with the usual suspects uh, of NGOs, uh, to role-play responses to a pandemic. One common thread was that participants were always told they failed to control the pandemic because they were reluctant to enact draconian lockdowns and too cautious in rolling out untested vaccines. 9-11 happened two months after the Operation Dark Winter simulation of a biological attack using smallpox. One week after 9-11 was the anthrax attack, falsely attributed to Iraq. Subsequent investigations have shown the weaponized anthrax could have only come from one of two labs in the U.S., not from Iraq, both closely affiliated with the CIA. Congress was galvanized to put together a response to both 9-11 and the anthrax attack. With guidance from the Operation Dark Winter Germ Game, they crafted legislation to use new government powers to respond to biological emergency. Concerns that it would be challenged and declared unconstitutional, it was and it is unconstitutional, caused them to put together model legislation for states to enact under pressure and with financial incentives. This was the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act, and most states enacted legislation to claim most of the recommended powers. These usurped, claimed powers would become the basis for medical martial law we've experienced for the last 911 days. One thing both Democrat and Republican politicians agree upon, it's much easier to get the serfs to do as they're told when you're operating under an emergency than when you're operating under the Constitution. So for the last two years, we've lived under medical tyranny that was planned and legislated coincident with 9-11.
0: You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without
1: it. Football is back, and so is your chance to win with Bed River Sportsbook app. Featuring our new multi-game same game parlay. Combine the action of multiple same game parlays in one bet for more action and bigger payouts. Bet the spread, bet the be over, bet player props, and more. Throw in daily odds boost plus award-winning customer service, and it's a touchdown. Download it today. Must be 21 plus available in Illinois only. Void where prohibitive terms and conditions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, help is
3: available. Call one 800 gambler It was practiced for two decades until it was activated by an executive order for a national emergency, which will also be renewed in perpetuity until we the people pick up that other shoe and throw it back in their face. Remember when that happened with the uh, George W. Bush press conference? (laughs) It won't be easy to get the people to respond. Well, they, and, you know, neocons like Sam Nunn playing the president, I think it was, and you had uh, James Woolsey, retired CIA. These are the types of people who were playing these war games, Operation Dark Winter, uh, along with the Gates Foundation and Johns Hopkins and uh, Fauci and the rest of these people playing, simulating this, this stuff. Um, they've been practicing that. They've been practicing it for a long time. Part of what they've been practicing is double speak. Double speak. And for the last two decades, the American people have been practicing double think. That's the real issue of 9 11. They've had 20 years to practice double speak, and we've had 20 years as a people to practice double think. Or, well, or should we say Big Brother, would be proud of the 9 11 equivalent of 2 plus 2 equals 5, which is 1 plus 1 equals 3. Supposedly, Two planes causing three steel skyscrapers to collapse and free fall a few hours later. The third building, Building 7, was not hit by a plane or by the other buildings. If that doesn't strike you as odd, then watch a few demolition videos on YouTube. You might also ask why there's been no review of firefighting procedures, no change in building codes, no liabilities for builders, no trial for the mastermind of 9-11, even though he remains in custody. Most people have been content to accept the official conspiracy theories no matter how impossible. Solzhenitsyn warned others in the Soviet Union to never believe the lies the government demanded you regurgitate. The essence of totalitarianism is that you embrace the lie as if it were the truth. Some of us have questioned the official conspiracy theory on countless points. We've been labeled truthers, which is apparently a pejorative label in this new normal idiocracy where people live by lies. Some have offered their own ideas about what happened. But the onus is not on we, the people, to come up with an explanation. The government should be held accountable to defend both their theories and their solutions because they attack our individual liberty and the rule of law. Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of Sherlock Holmes, had his character put it succinctly. He said, when one eliminates the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, is the truth. This is how we should approach 9-11 and the pandemic. We don't need to know how the buildings were brought down. It's enough to know that it wasn't by planes but by demolition of some sort, which means that it was planned beforehand. We don't need to know whether COVID was leaked from a lab or if it even exists. It's enough to know that they rushed a radical experimental injection. They used it to control people's lives, all the while actively opposing any cause for a safety investigation. Continuing emergencies when there is no emergency is enough for you to question whether there ever was an emergency. And as we hit 21 years of 9-11 and a 911 days of pandemic, don't be fooled by their relaxed rules. They're easing up in order to keep their usurped dictatorial powers. With these rehearsed, manufactured, and curated events, they've cast the rule of law aside to attack our God-given rights, and they will continue to extend those executive orders of national emergencies until we alter or abolish this new form of government. And so when we look at uh, what Biden did, and it was last Thursday, September the 8th, as I said in that uh, Substack article there, Uh, Please pass that around, sign up if you want to help us to get the word out on Substack. Uh, The terrorist threat, said Biden in his memo that he published in the Federal Register to extend it, uh, yet another year after uh, 21 years, Uh, he said the terrorist threat continues. He said powers and authorities adopted to deal with the attacks must continue in effect beyond September 14, 2022. The 9-11 emergency declaration is just one of several that Biden has extended this week alone. Also on Thursday, he announced the renewal of an emergency declared by his predecessor, Trump, in 2018 regarding the threat of, quote, foreign interference in or undermining public confidence in U.S. elections. Biden has declared at least six national emergencies by executive order since taking office in January of 2021, and he has extended several more, including the COVID-19 pandemic emergency, and he's added his own things to that as well. That's why we're now at 912 days of that Trump COVID national emergency. Where does this come from? When did this start? How did we have an America where we didn't have a president who was constantly declaring national emergencies about each and everything that he wanted to do. Well, this all began in 1976. It was something that was done by President Ford and the strong Democrat majorities in Congress at the time. You see, both Republicans and Democrats love to rule under emergency orders. For decades, we knew that this was coming. People talked about FEMA. Talked about how it was going to be a declaration of an emergency and how they were going to use that to shut us down, to lock us in, to lock us up, to lock us down, to take away our businesses, whatever. And then when it happened, one of the key mouthpieces of all of this, Alex Jones was telling you, it's just 4D chess. Don't worry. Trump's got you covered. After warning people for decades about FEMA, about national emergencies and the dangers and the threats that they pose, he tells you,
2: don't worry. Don't worry. Stay in the building. It's the safest place you can be. Stay
3: in the party. Stay in the MAGA cult. Follow me for news. More will be coming up. I'll let you know when you have to be worried, right? The National Emergencies Act of 1976 endows a president with over 136 powers, uh, most of which do not require any congressional approval to wield. And I would point out, uh, uh, are in direct contradiction, contradiction to the Constitution. And of course, those 136 powers can be used to usurp even more powers, as we've seen over and over again. Uh, so uh, since that's been done, there's been 60 national emergencies, and only about half of them have concluded. The rest of them remain, and the big ones remain. 9-11 remains. The COVID emergency remains. And yet, as a reminder that the Patriot Act was always about patriots, ultimately about patriots. Democrat Senator Warner says U.S. domestic threats are greater than terrorism. It was always about us. Margaret Brennan asked him, You know, 9-11 introduced to many Americans for the very first time the sense of vulnerability at home. Fear, panic, keep me safe, take my liberty, please. It launched the global war on terror. Oh, yeah, we're going to have some more global wars launched. we got global wars against climate change. we got global wars against terror. They love to have these types of MacGuffins, don't they? The stunning thing, said Warner to me, is that here we are 20 years later, and the attack on the symbol of our democracy was not coming from terrorists, but it came from literally insurgents attacking the Capitol on January the 6th. So I believe we're stronger. I believe our intelligence community has performed remarkably. But I do worry, he said, about some of the activity in the country where the election deniers, the insurgency that took place on January the 6th, that is something I hope we could see that same kind of unity of spirit. And so, uh, yes, you see, we've gone from the uh, cavemen who fly planes
2: to the horrific uh, threat from domestic
3: patriots who question anything the government has to say. 21 years after 9-11, says a Reason headline, TSA still insists on grabbing your dick when you fly. <laughs> That's their headline. Uh, I, think they're just, I think TSA is just pulling your cheney, is uh, the reality of this. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that you go from dick with 9-11 To Liz and January the 6th. Yeah, they are pulling your Cheney, aren't they? They are pulling your Cheney. Um, And the question is, when we look at TSA, have they caught any terrorists? You better believe if there was a terrorist threat and they caught anybody, oh, they would be blowing their horn all over the place. You'd be hearing about it for weeks. Look at our brave TSA. Look at they just shut down one of these Afghans who was trying to commandeer a plane again trying to sneak onto a plane with maybe some shampoo and unapproved underwear or something. I don't know. What was it? Uh, no, the reality is that we've had congressmen talking about this over and over again, saying it's absolutely a scandal and a shame when you look at it. We're not allowed to know because you know it's national security. No, it's job security for these people. Uh, but we're not allowed to know their failure rate because you know, they have people who go there and they deliberately try to penetrate it and see if these people can catch them. And from the implications that we're told, it's nearly 90% of the time they fail. So, but we're not allowed to know that exact number. But you do have a lot of congressmen who have in the past said, whoa. And you know that's the case. Because if there were, they're so ineffective, and you don't have to look at their data, you can look at the way that they operate. If there was any terrorist threat, We would have had terrorist attacks between now and then because the TSA certainly wouldn't have stopped it. This whole theater that they create. Uh, You know how this works out, and I've talked about this when it's happened. Unfortunately, we've had uh, Muslim terrorists who have attacked uh, Christian churches, Coptic churches in the Middle East, for example. It's a constant threat of attack and murder and terrorism. And so uh, one church decided that they would set up TSA-style security outside this large church. So before you could go into the church, you had to go through, you had everybody lined up, bunched up, and you know, they look at you one by one, you know, with a wand, the metal detector, whatever else that they've got, all of that stuff. And so you had somebody, which uh, every security expert will tell you that if you want to bunch people up like that, what you've done is you've created a very soft target. It's probably easier to kill people than if they were inside the building. And that's exactly what happened. You had suicide bombers. This has happened more than once. Go up to the place where everybody's bunched up to go through the theatrical security scan. Uh, so they just walk up, join the crowd, and pull the, pull the trigger, right? Pull the, uh, the detonator on the bomb. Uh, so we've had even more information uh, about that. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was working at InfoWars, uh, we've had, if you go back to the whole thing about the body scanners, and it is kind of interesting how this all came about. You had the, uh, uh, the underwear bomber, 2009 Christmas, and you had the uh, lawyer Haskell who was waiting to get on the plane to fly, and he, he saw this disheveled, guy who seemed to be completely out of it looked like a bomb and he was being escorted by a sharp dressed man, uh, not ZZ top, but a guy who didn't have a big beard and everything, but he was, he was uh, <laughs> very sharply dressed and he goes up to, uh, takes, takes this guy up to the desk and, uh, they carefully, uh, you know, and he's doing all the talking, the sharp dressed guy is. And, um, they get him on the plane, and so he thought that was really suspicious. It's like, what is this guy? I mean, first of all, he looked like he was in custody, but he wasn't. And so they get him on the plane, and so he's watching this guy on the plane. And this is the guy who allegedly tried to blow the plane up with his underwear bomb. And so he said the whole thing stunk like a, a setup. And, so, um, and then, of course, the interesting thing about that as well was that a company already had the body scanner solution for that problem. Ready to go, they had designed it, they had built it, they had warehoused it, and it was ready to ship, right there. And that was a company that was being run by the first head of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff. And so Haskell really wanted to talk about that uh, because it was being ignored by the mainstream media, and so he would get on Infowars and some other places to talk about it, <clears throat> and um, and he was hoping that he would be called. As a matter of fact, uh, the defense attorneys had him on the list as witnesses. But they only did it because they wanted to use that as negotiation. In the same way, these people don't want to have a trial for this mastermind of 9-11. You know, Sheikh Mohammed or whatever, Kalik or whatever his name is. They don't want to have a trial for that because they don't want to have the evidence discussed. And they didn't want Haskell talking about what he had seen. And so they cut a easy deal with this guy. And um and that was it. And he didn't get a chance to testify. And he was pretty upset about that. He was also, by that time, starting to get concerned about the corruption in our government. He wound up moving to Panama, Country Panama, uh, from Michigan. And um then subsequent to that, you had a lot of people who pushed back against it. You had um, Legislators in um, uh, in Texas who pushed back against it. The guy who led it, hardcore, straight up conservative uh, man of great integrity. One of the one of the most uh, impressive people I've ever interviewed. And he organized this. Um, He's he's a conservative, but he moved to stop this. And later on, he moved to um, uh, to uh, decriminalize marijuana, uh, because of compassionate use. He had seen parents who had children with uncontrollable seizures and they were facing horrific criminal penalties if they used the only thing that could stop the seizures, which was medical marijuana. And so he said, all right, we got to stop this. Anyway, um, when it came to that, he was able to lead the, uh, Texas legislature and they said, you're not going to touch kids, especially, but you're not going to touch us either. And we're not going to make, you're not going to make us go through these naked body scanners. The TSA replied and said, well, if you do that, we will make Texas a no-fly zone. And you had the guy who was Texas Lieutenant Governor at the time, Dewhurst was his name. He was a former CIA guy. And after he got out of the CIA, they, his buddies set him up in the oil industry and he became very, very, very rich. And he had spent more money to get elected as lieutenant governor in Texas than anybody else had ever spent on a state election. And he rallied the Senate to block it. And I mention all of that because that was 2011. In 2013, you had an engineer whose name was Corbett, and he was pushing back against these, um, uh, against the scanners. He was showing how they were ineffective, how you could defeat them, how you could hide things and stuff like that. But he was also pushing back against it uh, because of the violations of our individual liberties. And in the lawsuit, and in discovery that was connected with the lawsuit, Uh, He was able to get some TSA documents, and some of those documents were from 2011 when the TSA was threatening to turn Texas into a no-fly zone if we didn't allow them to put their hands on our bodies, to put their hands on our children, and to take naked body pictures of us. And it was heavily redacted. But here's where the story gets interesting. They posted on PACER.gov, which is where all the lawsuits go up. They posted, and it was up for about a day, a little bit less than a day. They posted uh, the documents unredacted as part of that lawsuit. And then they caught their mistake, and then they put up the redacted documents. And so we had a copy of both of those, and we were able to go through and look at it, what they didn't want us to know. What they didn't want you to know was that in 2011, when they were saying that they were going to turn Texas into a no-fly zone without uh, body scanners and naked pat-downs and stuff like that, uh, at that very time, the TSA itself said there is no threat against any airports or airplanes. That's 2011, 11 years ago. They still maintain this threat. Biden still extends the executive order. And we know that there is no threat because if there had been, there'd be a lot of terrorist attacks because the TSA is incapable of stopping them and their tactics that they're doing it uh, are incapable. But understand, they will never admit that it's a lie, of course. They will never admit that their measures are proven failures. They will never abolish or even reform the TSA, just like they will not abolish or reform the CDC, the NIH, the FDA, the FBI, any of these agencies, none of them. And there will always be another boogeyman. There will always be another existential crisis. There will always be another MacGuffin, for which we will need a new uh, perpetual presidential emergency order. Uh, Stay with us when we come back. We're going to talk about what happened at the Pentagon. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
1: Chicago's Big Ten team, the Northwestern Wildcats, kick off their season in Evanston with Duke on September 10th. You don't want to miss attending games that include Duke, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. This season, there is a ticket option for everyone and every schedule From season tickets to mini plans to single game tickets, there's an option for you. Purchase your tickets today at nusports.com backslash tickets. Don't wait to get your tickets today at nusports.com backslash tickets. Go Cats! College football fans, you don't want to miss cheering on Chicago's Big Ten team, the Northwestern Wildcats, this season. Northwestern Football has announced their 2022 promotions. Wildcat fans, you do not want to miss band day, cheer day, homecoming, and more. Get your tickets for the 2022 season today at nusports.com backslash tickets. There's a ticket option for everyone, from season tickets to mini plans to single game tickets. Purchase yours at nusports.com backslash tickets. Go Cats!
3: the David Knight show all right and I want to say thank you to a couple of people who have left tips on Rockfin thank you very much Alan Vale I appreciate that uh, he says thank you David Wa- thank you Alan I appreciate that and the frontline TV thank you that's very generous uh, and they say thanks for your show well thank you appreciate that frontline TV uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what happened at the Pentagon uh, and give you a personal story about this uh, you know, as people were talking about the massive amount of money that was missing and the fact that uh, this uh, plane that allegedly hit uh, the Pentagon, uh, that it went right there at the very spot in the Pentagon. When you think about how big the Pentagon is, isn't it interesting that the very spot where they were investigating a lot of missing money was ground zero for this explosion? Isn't it interesting that there were no... Video camera, uh, No video camera footage was allowed. As a matter of fact, they went through and confiscated some from some of the uh, uh, places around there at the time. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that uh, there was no um, engine parts? Isn't it interesting that the hole was smaller than the wingspan of the plane and many other things like that? It's also interesting at how low and how fast this plane was allegedly going. A missile could do that, but uh, a plane could not do that. I also thought it was very interesting at the Pentagon that you had Ken Olson's wife, uh, who just happened to be on the plane and was calling her husband uh, from the cell phone. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to do that? You know, for, for years, <laughs> you know, for nearly twenty years, they told us you you got to shut down your phone, you got to put it in airplane mode. It's a federal regulation; nobody can use the phone. It'll crash the plane. It'll cr- maybe she's the one responsible for it. Uh, by making a phone call, right? And, and of course, that's total bunk if you stop and think about it, right? How would the plane – these are different frequencies. Your phones were operating on different frequencies than what they had in the uh, cockpit. It it doesn't even pass a sniff test if you think about that. And just to give you an example, right, Um, you have AM, FM radio. Remember that? I know people don't typically – Pay much attention to the radio anymore but you do have am and fm radio do you have interference uh on those different ones uh no you, don't. you know not they're assigned different frequencies and then you have uh, the different you have am and fm which operate uh, differently from each other by the way uh, and and that is also part of the issue as well you know fm is frequency modulation am is amplitude modulation but then within those two different broad categories they have all these different frequency spectrums there to make sure they don't crash against each other. You think they didn't think about that with the cell phones? How do you get a plane off the ground if all of the people, you know, you've got cell towers everywhere. If the cell towers are going to interfere with the plane's avionics, how do you get the plane off the ground? There's a lot more traffic when the plane is on the ground. There's a lot more uh, communications traffic in the cell phone spectrums. All the people who are in the uh, airport and, uh, all the people who are in other planes who were just sitting there on the tarmac or allowed to use their phones. And, and then of course, all of the cell phone tower signals are all there as well. How is the plane even able to get off the ground? so for years I would, uh, I would make a point to show whoever I was traveling with. I would take it off and say, look at this, you know, <laughs> we're not going to crash the plane. Don't worry. But I'm not in airplane mode. How about that? They don't even know it. Um, (laughs) Uh, And I lived to tell it. Lived to tell the story. I think that was that whole scam. And it is a scam. I think that whole scam was just, but, you know, the reason I did it was not to tempt fate and say, see, I'm right. You can't crash the plane with this. No, the reason I did it was because I wanted to test to see if I could make a phone call. Like Ken Olson's wife allegedly did. Guess what? That didn't work. You couldn't do it. You're going through the uh, cell phone towers too quickly. The altitude is high, and so forth. Uh, that doesn't work. You can't You can't use your cell phone when you're in the plane, even if you're circling around and you know in the uh, there. Uh, but yeah, the, what they alleged happened with her talking to uh, Ken Olson could not have happened. Now, Ken, who is Ken Olson? Ken Olson was the guy who really ran Point on the election, uh, legal issues. Remember the 2000 election, the hanging Chad and all that stuff. And they went until about Thanksgiving from the first week of, of, uh, November to the last week of November, trying to determine whether, uh, Al Gore or Bush had one and he had all that hanging Chad stuff and everything. Well, Ken Olson was the guy who was really kind of point man on that. And he got a big, uh, position in the Bush administration as a reward for that. And, um, I don't know if it was a convenient way for him to get rid of his wife or what the deal was with it, but I do know that his wife was not talking to him. His wife, was, I would be more inclined to believe that it was a, a voice from heaven <laughs> that was talking to him. And so that is suspect, suspect. And, um, then uh, you had a lot of people referring to the fact that Donald Rumsfeld had said, uh, we can't track $2.3 trillion in transactions. And he said this, um, $2.3 trillion missing from the Pentagon. Uh, According to some estimates, he said we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. This has been misinterpreted by many people as a person trying to debunk this. Here's the debunking of it by uh, someone named uh, Mick West. And uh, the uh, website is metabunk.org. And, and they are full of bunk, quite frankly. But um, he said, no, this is, uh, he was just talking about their accounting systems were not working very well. They had really outdated accounting systems. He, he wasn't talking about the fact that there was any fraud. He said, uh, from the start, we can see this doesn't make any sense. You know, the fact that he said this the day before, you know, we got $2.3 trillion missing from the Pentagon. We just can't find it. Uh, So this debunker says from the start, we can see this doesn't make any sense as missing money. The DOD budget for 1999 was just uh, a quarter of a trillion dollars. The entire federal budget of 2000 was $1.8 trillion. So $2.3 trillion going missing is absolutely not something that could be swept under the rug. Where would this even come from? Well, it comes from the black budget, quite frankly. Uh, So he says that this just means... This is just like you complaining about the fact that you can't keep track of your expenses between you and your wife, you know. That's, that's what he's saying. You just need better accounting. Uh, no, that's not the case. And I know that from personal experience. Karen and I would, uh, when we were back in Texas, we would, um, on the weekend, we'd go for a drive in the convertible and we'd go various places. One, one weekend, we went down to a... Um, uh, well, I won't mention the city because I don't want to get the lady in any trouble. Uh, but we went down to um, kind of a, a vacation area and we're hanging around. We're going through the shops that were there. And we went into one shop and it was just like little knickknacks and stuff. And Karen is looking around to, at the stuff. And I'm just standing there. Um, I wasn't interested in seeing what was there. And it was a slow day. And the lady who was running the shop was bored to death. And so she just starts talking to me, you know, she doesn't know who I am and she just starts telling me, you know, my husband and I uh, started this store, um, and forget how many years it was. And, and, um, you know, we make uh, most of the stuff, some of it we order, but we make this stuff here. Oh, that's very interesting. That's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she starts saying, you know, I almost didn't make it here. I said, what? She said, yeah, you know, I was working in uh, the Pentagon. And um, she said, the office that I was working in was exactly where the plane hit on nine eleven, And I had retired from there just a few months earlier because uh, my husband had been working for uh, the military and it was time for him to retire. And I just decided I would go ahead and, and um, stop early as well so we could move down here and open up shop and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, then she starts talking about what she was doing in the office. She said, yeah, it was, and here I am, I'm a total stranger. And she starts going through this stuff, and, uh, and she said, uh, we were investigating unbelievable amounts of money that had gone missing in the Pentagon budget. She said, you wouldn't believe how much money it was. She said, it was over a trillion dollars. And, and, and we were looking at this stuff, and she said, we, we caught these people red-handed. She said, there were a lot of people who took early retirement from the Pentagon, politicians who took early retirement. She said they were just giving them a way out because they were going to be facing big jail time. So I was like, you know, uh, get out and we'll look the other way, that type of thing. And I'm like, I'm thinking, should I get out my cell phone (laughs) and start to record her? Uh, But, you know, I asked her, I said, where do you get your news? And she said, "Uh, well, mostly Fox News. I said, uh, well, have you ever heard of it? I mentioned a few different places. She had not heard of uh, Infowars. She had not heard of Breitbart. She had not heard of anything other than Fox News and CNN. And <clears throat> she was um, talking about this, and I was really more interested in hearing what she had to say rather than proving it And uh, to people. I mean, if you believe me, believe me. If you don't, if you think I'm a liar, no, don't believe me. If I'm telling you the truth, I sat there and listened to her talk about how They were uncovering all this stuff over a trillion dollars that she was aware of and how people were taking, uh, you know, getting kicked out left and right. She said all that just disappeared, unfortunately, she said, and she never made the connection, never made the connection. Uh, It could never be something that was deliberate. It was just an amazing coincidence that that happened. But it was so sad that it happened because they were really making a lot of progress and they were really rolling back the corruption that was there. I had a friend who uh, was a very close friend of mine in high school, he went to West Point, and he uh, eventually wound up in the Pentagon, and he retired just a couple of months before 9-11. He was very uh, uh, very active in terms of uh, charity and fundraising and things like that for families, because there was a lot of people that he knew had died in that as well, and it, and it really bothered him. But He also never would question
2: the official story. Uh, She wasn't
3: even really, that was not even on her radar to think about that. I've had um, Karen's cousin who was in one of the buildings and was able to get out through one of the stairways, never would question the government's official version of the story, even though she was there. She, She was too close to it, I think. To to question Uh, it. It's too threatening, I think, for most Americans to question the impossible conspiracy theory that is being told to us about 9 11. And that's one of the things that we're faced with with this uh, pandemic. Because we've gone through 20 years of, I don't want to know this, it's going to rock my boat that much. And that's where we are right now. So, you know, you look at this and, what we're now living through with this pag- pandemic cognitive dissonance, the one plus one equals three. And, uh, the articles that we see here, how are schools teaching nine 11 21 years later? Uh, this is coming from Fox news. Courtney O'Brien is the author of this very concerned about the fact that the next generation doesn't really see this as relevant to them. It's not quite ancient history, but to them it is. I mean, these people are as removed uh, from uh, this happening, actually more removed from the events of 9-11. Most of the kids who are in school now are, are more removed from the events of 9-11 than I was from the events of World War II. World War II was closer to uh, my uh, generation than the kids who were young in an elementary school today uh, to their generation. And so um, you uh, see, so the the point of this uh, Fox News article is decrying the fact that um, it's not being talked about enough. Uh, Balancing national security and civil liberties is one of the uh, featured lesson plans. Well, there isn't any way to balance those, is there? Uh, You either have both or you have neither. Right? You don't have any security, and that includes national security, if you don't respect the Constitution and the American principles that we are created in the image of God, and that because of that we have natural rights, and that the purpose of government is not to grow, is not to defend itself against us, not to defend itself no matter what it has to take away from us, Right? That is the ethic that we've been sold now, that national security means that the government needs to do whatever it needs to in order to survive. And the survival of government as the end justifies whatever means they have to do to survive the continuity of government. And that includes suspending the Constitution and taking away our individual liberties. Now, uh, national security without individual liberty is nothing but a totalitarian dictatorship. National security without individual liberty is a totalitarian dictatorship. It's just that simple. And the founders understood that. It's just human nature. Dictatorships are nothing new. And so Franklin said, anybody who would uh, give up a central liberty for the promise of safety deserves neither. And I would say that history has shown us that you get neither as well. To the extent that you give up your liberty, to that extent, you become a prisoner. You become a slave. Slaves are never safe. Slaves are never prosperous. You will not get more comfortable, and you will not find your safety by giving up your liberty. Liberty is dangerous, and it is especially a danger to tyrants, and that's why they seek to take it from you for continuity of government. I had all the teachers... How did we teach it? Well, we had all the teachers say where they were on 9-11. Like I said, so what? You know, Karen's cousin who was there? She was there, and she still doesn't understand what's going on. Just the fact that you had an impression about this, right? It's everybody my age knows where they were when uh, JFK was assassinated. Um, I remember the reaction of my parents and other things like that. Uh, But that doesn't mean that I knew anything about the Zapruder film. It doesn't mean that I knew anything about um, the School Book Depository or Lee Harvey Oswald or the rest of this stuff. absolutely irrelevant. My personal feelings, absolutely irrelevant. They had them do other irrelevant things, like having the kids march up and down bleachers to try to simulate the climbing of the Twin Towers by the firefighters. What is that about? This, This is the lunacy, the idiocy of our school system. Uh, I imagine they would probably have heart attacks now after the vaccine if they were to try to do that type of thing. Uh, so remembering 9-11, we must honor those who sacrifice their lives. Should we honor those who sacrifice their lives? Millions of people who have died and become crippled because they took the jab to try to save the community, right? That's what we're told. You got, everybody's got to roll up your sleeve and take the shot Because we got to hang in this thing together and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's going to be a few people are going to die. That's just the price we pay in order to save the herd. But is there any uh, honor for these people? You know, the people who died on 9-11 didn't make a conscious decision to say, well, I'm going to be in this tower that's going to collapse. But the people who were deceived about these Trump shots, they rolled up their sleeve and they took the risk. Many of them knew that it was about some of them were coerced. Right? What would we say if you had people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump prodding people into the buildings that they knew were going to be attacked and were going to be falling down? What would you say about that? Or George W. Bush or Donald uh, Rumsfeld or whatever. What would you say about people who did something like that? They knew that these people were going to be killed. Like I said, you had the announcement saying, stay in the building. The building is where you're going to be safe. All the rest of this stuff. Now, I don't think that that was necessarily deliberate. But I know that these people are saying, get the vaccines. That's the only way you're going to be safe. I know that was deliberate. What do we say about people like that? And uh, why is it that we don't honor those people who were either bullied and coerced or lied into it, or some of them did it knowing this is not tested, but they're going to do it because they think that it's going to somehow save the community
2: we don't honor them we don't
3: honor them we ignore them we do nothing for the people who have been crippled who have lost their career because they can no longer work because you have as i've talked to uh a uh orthopedic surgeon he used to do uh hip and knee surgery he can't his hands won't stop shaking anymore because of the jab who honors him yeah, and uh, this story, Remembering Those Who Sacrificed Their Lives, this is actually from Christian Headlines. This is written by a, a doctor who was talking about uh, her recollections of 9 11 and the fact that she was working with some patients, some of them very, very sick, others who were just kind of in a you know, stable condition, others who were terminal patients. And as she's working with these terminal patients, and uh, they're thinking about the approach of death, she said. Uh, In her words, she said, um, I spent most of the time with the terminal patients. She said where death most commonly approaches like a big steam engine, the whistle blows It's followed by the low rumble of the engine and we can sense the friction of the wheels upon the track and when it finally rounds that last corner, we are prepared as it approaches because we know that death is arriving. However, sometimes death arrives like a semi-truck that's run a stop sign. And on September 11th, 2001, it arrived in just that way. And uh, none of us actually knows when we're going to die, do we? As I said when I talked about this on Saturday, I said I have a friend who uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, they said, can't stop this. But the good news is it's kind of a, it's a very rare cancer, very, very slow-moving thing. And so, um, he was undergoing chemotherapy on a regular basis to try to make it even slower. And one day he was on his way to chemotherapy and uh, material of a sheet, uh, material came off of a truck in front of him and just barely uh, missed going over his car. And he thought, well, if that thing was about six or eight inches lower, it would have probably killed me. And he thought, that's kind of interesting. You know, here I am. I'm thinking that I've got a death sentence on me. And he said, and yet nobody knows when they're going to die. I could have died just then. Uh, And he went on to live a little bit over 15 years. Uh, It was a blessing for him to think about the fact that he was not going to live forever, that he was going to stand before God one day. And um, that is the, the key thrust of this particular article. But before we finish, and I've got only one more thing to say before we will uh, move on to other topics today, because we have a lot of other things to talk about, Uh, things attacks on the Second Amendment and uh, other headline news, a race war that uh, appears like they're doing a pretty good job of ginning one up. Civil war, race war, you know, uh, world war, all these different things. Uh, They've got a lot of plans for us, these people, because um, if we don't stop them with these emergencies, they just keep putting out more and more emergencies. But uh, this was sent to me by a listener. Ty sent this. He said, you know, I-, I forgot about this. It explains a lot of things looking back on it. And it is kind of interesting to look back on this. This is an article from uh, 15th of April, 2017, three years before Trump did the uh, <clears throat> executive order that would make uh, Klaus Schwab so proud. And the headline of it is, uh, it's the opposite of draining the swamp. Watchdogs hit Trump for secret white house visitor log. Uh, and uh, so you had a CEO of a nonprofit political advocacy group said, um, the only excuse for this kind of policy is that the Trump administration has something to hide. What was the policy? Well, uh, the Trump administration announced that they would no longer disclose records pertaining who visits the white house. He did that, uh, three months after he took office, not going to let you know, who the visitors are, not going to keep logs of that. And so the CEO of Every Voice said uh, it looks like he's got something, makes it look like he's got something to hide. He said this kind of secrecy will allow big donors, lobbyists, you know, like pharmaceutical companies and things like that, and special interests to have unknown levels of influence in the White House. It's exactly the opposite of draining the swamp. Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch. You know Tom Fitton, he does good work. But he said he was disappointed in the Trump administration's decision. Again, this is three months after Trump took office, April of 2017. He added that the policy to remove any information about who the visitors are in the visitor log. He said this policy undermines the rule of law and suggests that this White House doesn't want to be accountable to the American people.
1: Chicago's Big Ten team, the Northwestern Wildcats, kick off their season in Evanston with Duke on September 10th. You don't want to miss attending games that include Duke, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. This season, there is a ticket option for everyone in every schedule From season tickets to mini plans to single game tickets, there's an option for you. Purchase your tickets today at nusports.com backslash tickets. Don't wait to get your tickets today at nusports.com backslash tickets. Go Cats!
0: Your business is important to you. And the best way to improve your business is to improve the lives of your people. UKG develops HR and workforce management solutions designed to take care of your employees. Because when they feel supported, connected, and appreciated, your business will transform from a workplace into a work of art. UKG. Our purpose is people.
3: The Executive Director of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, Crew, a legal watchdog group, said... It's disappointing that the man who promised to drain the swamp just took a massive step away from transparency. Under Obama, the visitor logs were released every 90 to 120 days, but under the Obama White House, these logs did not include personal guests who did not have any official political business, such as family and friends, or guests who had particularly sensitive meetings with the president. So there you go. You know, if it's somebody who's got a particularly sensitive meeting, uh, you know, exactly the type of person that you would want to have reported in the logs, Obama didn't do it either. The thing about Trump is he just said the quiet part out loud. (laughs) Over and over again, as a matter of fact. And um, I talked about this briefly on uh, Saturday. When you look at what is happening with Bannon, and the fact that they have uh, contacted between 35 and 50 people on Friday. And these are people, they uh, want all kinds of information. Anybody that was tangential to uh, this uh, Stop the Steal and uh, Save America rallies and things like that. They want information from them. I said, if you look at what they're doing with Bannon, I said, I believe that they are setting up a, another way that they're going to come after Trump. <clears throat> And when you look at what happened with uh, the charges against Bannon, what is he being charged for? Well, the same thing he was charged for before when Trump uh, pardoned him. It was, uh, we build the wall. They were going to build the wall since Trump couldn't get it done. They decided they would do it. They raised $25 million. Allegedly, uh, Bannon got a $1 million. And he also uh, set up a shell corporation to give money to Brian Colfagi, I think is the way he pronounced his last name. Uh, who was a uh, a veteran, a triple amputee from uh, the Iraq war. And um, he set this thing up and he told everybody, I'm not going to take a cent from it. Well, uh, maybe he spoke presumptively. I mean, you know, he's I think he's entitled to make some money out of it if he's doing the fundraising. But because he said he wasn't going to take a cent out of it and then ultimately did, and because they knew that they had to hide it, bannon allegedly set up some shell corporations in order to pay this guy on the side and so they charged they're charging bannon with um money laundering because he set up that shell corporation to hide the compensation and with fraud because they were telling people that there wasn't going to be any compensation and then of course with multiple conspiracy theory charges uh, thrown in with it as well you know because anytime They bring a charge against you. They'll also put a conspiracy charge because if there's more than one person involved, well, you conspired to commit a crime. So we're going to have conspiracy to do, you know, so here's the crime. And then we're also going to charge you with conspiracy to commit uh, that crime and on and on. So they have multiple charges there. But I said, what I think this thing is really about is I think they're setting a template up with Bannon because of his uh, close proximity to Trump and because of the things that he's had to say. And uh, you've already had them looking at this and saying, well, is there a legal fund that's being set up out of this Save America? They had a fund that they were talking about, and then they talked to people who were part of Save America. This is the uh, thing that uh, that Trump set up to make over $250 million after the election. They said, well, no, that was just kind of a marketing idea. There was never anything like that. It's like, oh, okay, well, there you go. See, they're going to use that and say, you committed fraud. And then they're going to talk about the fraudulent use of money and the redistribution of money and things like that, exactly the way that they are doing it with Bannon. Uh, when you look at the amount of money it was only about four and a half percent of the Save America fund was actually spent on legal challenges. They weren't even bothering to do the legal challenges. And uh, so again, you know, they can spend that into a fraud account. Yes, it is political. This is a Game of Thrones. It truly is. Uh, They gave the Stop the Steal people, you know, Ali Alexander, Roger Stone, Alex Jones, they gave them $3.5 million. They gave the RNC a tremendous cut. You had to, when you were giving money to Save America, the first $8,000 that you gave would all go to Save America, not to the legal fund. Uh, If you gave $8,001, then $1 would go to the legal fund, and the other $8,000 would go to Trump and the RNC, and they would split it. Um, And I forget what the ratio was. It was something like 80-20 or something like that. And so all of those things, I think, are going to be another front that they're going to open up against Trump. Uh, It is um, uh, death by a 1,000 allegations, whether they can prove any of this stuff or not. But frankly, I think this is... Now, it it is a grift, we all understand it is a grift, but I think if they're able to bring these charges successfully against Bannon, I think that's what this is largely a test case of, and it's what they're doing when they roll this out to 35 to 50 other people. And it is a political, uh, it is a politicized attack. It is a Game of Thrones in the sense that one of the lawyers for one of the organizations that was subpoenaed said, I and many other people, my client and many other people, were getting calls from a political reporter asking if the FBI had sent them subpoenas yet or had uh, raided them yet. So the FBI tipped off these political reporters in advance, but not these people. in advance of these people even getting hit. So it is a, an amazing bit of corruption, but the corruption extends on both sides. As I've played for you before, uh, Steve Bannon, just before the election, four days before the election, was talking to a group of wealthy Chinese investors that were associated with uh, the um, individual who is um, uh, the individual Guo, the bil- billionaire who they they uh, arrested uh, Bannon the first time they arrested him. He was on that billionaire's yacht, and so he's talking to these Chinese people, four uh, people that the circle of friends of uh, this billionaire Guo four days before the election, and he said this.
1: And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare a victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. More of our people vote
6: early that count. Theirs voted mail, And so they're going to have a natural disadvantage, and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's just going to declare himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. we are going to have Antifa crazy, the media crazy, the courts are crazy, And Trump's going to be sitting there mocking, tweeting shit out. You
5: lose. (laughs) I'm the winner. I'm the king.
1: And he'll be all over. He'll be be going, where's Hunter? Is Hunter on a crackpot?
3: Yeah, yeah. See, that's the problem I have with it. I've heard these types of conversations about grifters doing the same type of thing as well. And when you combine that, saying, you know, this is the narrative we're going to push out. And then you combine that with all the fundraising stuff. you know. I'm not interested in seeing former president being put in jail. I'm not interested in seeing this Game of Thrones continue. I think both sides are absolutely corrupt. I just want to stop people from following a traitor who has betrayed them, who has killed more Americans with his twin injections than any alleged terrorist or any. It was an inside job. And and that was definitely, no question about it, an inside job. Uh, Fauci saying in October, that Millikan Institute thing, yeah, how do we get everybody to take our vaccines untested? And he said, well, you got to do it from the inside. And we got to do it with uh, disruption. And we got to do it iteratively. It was an inside job. And uh, if you want to know what's happening, if you can't get your head around the Twin Towers and Building 7, get your head around these uh, Twin injections. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, we'll be right back to talk about the Second Amendment. Stay with us. Decoding the mainstream propaganda. It's the David Knight Show. All right. I want to thank that. That is very generous. Amos Poole, thank you very much. I appreciate that tip. Very generous um, on Rockfin. He says, uh, thanks, David, for your great work. And congratulations on your new Substack contribution. Already right, posted it in a couple of chat groups. And thank you very much. I, as I was reading that, I saw one typo. Uh, They're going to have to fix, put not instead of no, which actually kind of makes the sentence a little bit confusing. I caught it as I was reading uh, the second time today, but uh, uh, it was a late night last night. And and thank you, Utopian Lobotomy. I appreciate that tip. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the Second Amendment. There is a, I've talked about this for a couple of weeks now, the efforts to try to get a new merchant code, to try to, first of all, identify anybody who is buying guns or ammunition, but also to try to shut down, uh, gun stores. That's what this is about. And it's being pushed by gun control groups, but it will be used to identify you as well, even if you're purchasing ammunition. So an international standards body, uh, which is called, um, the ISO, international organization for standardization. So you see ISO numbers, a lot of different places and they have a, it's a non governmental body. It's uh, headquartered out of Geneva, Switzerland. And, um, they create standards for a lot of different things and they have codes for different industries. So as we're trying to get, um, things set up where we can actually process payments on the website for merchandise that we've now already bought. Uh, but we're, we can't sell it until we can get, uh, somebody that will let us uh, take um, charges on there. And I've been banned by PayPal, been banned by Venmo. And, um, you know, one of the major uh, couple of them uh, that w- that we've dealt with, we find out that eventually, oh, yeah, they're owned by PayPal as well, having this consolidation that is happening. And um, so evidently there's some kind of code from me. <laughs> I don't know if it came from Geneva, Switzerland or something, but... There's a code for me. And, uh, but they want to identify previously, as I mentioned last couple of weeks, I've been talking about this, gun stores would be put in as kind of miscellaneous or they'd be put in as sporting goods. They said, so, no, no, no. The gun groups, gun control groups were saying, uh, we want something uh, specific for them. Guns Down America and the Giffords Law Center. Uh, Gabby Gifford, the congresswoman who was shot, she wasn't uh, killed. But uh, she has she and her husband Mark Kelly, who is running for re-election as a senator, uh, have focused their efforts uh, like a laser beam on gun control. And yet, Mark Kelly, surprise, surprise, is not talking about it in his re-election campaign. Isn't that a surprise? Well, no, it isn't. He doesn't want people to make the association. I mean, he's Mark Kelly. She's Giffords of the Giffords Law Center who is pushing for this type of stuff. So currently credit card companies classify retailers with other merchants as either, uh, these are the gun retailers as either 5999 miscellaneous or 5941 sporting goods stores. But now they are going to have a special code a special merchant category four digit code to show that this is a gun retailer. So people can say, oh, you bought firearms or ammunition from a gun reset. So now you're on our list as well. And to perhaps set them down so you don't shut them down so you don't do business with them. This is something that has been pushed over and over again. Amalgamated Bank was the one that was successful in getting this done. They call themselves America's socially responsible bank. Uh, they said their decision to push for creating the new code is, quote, the result of nearly three years of research in partnership with Issue Experts, Guns Down America, and Giffords Law Center. Uh, this bank was founded by union workers nearly 100 years ago, so you can understand they're probably Marxists at this point. If they were union workers 100 years ago, they're probably full-on Marxists at this point. Uh, the bank first tried to get this merchant code created. Um, Uh, back in July 2021, but the application has been denied twice by the ISO. And as I reported last week, you had New York state officials get involved in this as well. Uh, You had state legislators, you had the governor, Hochul, pushing for this. And then they brought in the pension fund, uh, the big pension funds in New York state, to put pressure on the financial services to try to get this thing done. And apparently this pressure campaign has worked. So now the international organization for standardization ISO has now come up with this and, um, they said, now it remains to be seen whether or not companies will adopt it. And, um, you know, whether the credit card companies will start to collect this information and put it out there, a spokesperson for the, uh, NRA Institute for legislative action said implying that firearm purchases are suspicious. Demonstrates an obvious bias that these attorneys general hold against anyone who chooses to exercise a fundamental constitutional right. Creating specific credit card codes for firearms lays the groundwork for de facto firearm registration. And suggesting otherwise is either short-sighted or deceptive. Well, uh, and it's not just firearm registration. I mean, it is laying the groundwork for ammunition uh, legislation. So how is this going to work? Well, here's a good example. Uh, Something else that's been going on for several months are gun retailers saying that UPS has, quote-unquote, lost their shipments over and over again. So there's been a lot of questions about whether or not UPS is targeting the gun industry and making it difficult for them. And now UPS has come out and said, recently UPS updated its policy to adhere to national regulations Uh, with uh, firearms and explosives with a number of states. And as a result, additional requirements to comply with these registrations, blah, blah, blah. So now they've put out a new rule change, put out a letter about that, warning people that they are going to make it much more difficult, if not impossible, for people to buy firearms and ammunition. After they have been accused multiple times by a lot of different locations of stealing their uh, shipments. Ammo Land News obtained a letter that UPS sent customers in the firearms industry specifying how as of August the 29th, shipments of at least 50 handguns per day had to be sustained to use its second-day air service. Sellers who do not buy 50 handguns per day uh, will risk losing their shipping accounts. So they are focusing So you have the shipping business focusing on this and saying, we're not going to ship guns to you. You have banks saying, if you have this merchant code, we're not going to pay you or allow you to do banking. You see how this works? This is a government using private corporations as deputies to censor, to surveil, to track this is what has been happening with the social media companies for the longest time. I've talked about how it is the iron fist of government censorship with a velvet glove of presumed private ownership. We're not telling them what to do. I mean, they're just, uh, we're just, you know, we are politically on the same page. I mean, you know, they hate conservatives, they hate Christians, uh, they hate guns, they hate this, they hate that. And, and they're just doing this because uh, they agree with us, that you people are racist, and hateful. and. Um, So that's not what it really is involved at all, because we have seen even the Republicans, Marco Rubio, saying to the big three, Facebook and Twitter and uh, YouTube, saying to them, uh, you're going to censor who we tell you to censor, right? Not who the Chinese tell you to censor. And then when you look internally into Washington, you have the Democrats saying to them, you're going to censor the Republicans that we tell you to censor and the gun owners that we tell you to censor and the people who are questioning the vaccines. You're not going to censor us, the Democrats, right? And so it's a a pressure campaign of intimidation. And it's bigger than that. It's bigger even than the government. Because you have these pension funds and you have uh, the uh, big funds like uh, BlackRock and Vanguard. Uh, There's three of them that together own about $30 trillion worth of equities. And they use that as leverage to tell them you're going to toe the line on environmental policy. You're going to toe the line on our socialist policies. You're going to tie the toe, the line on our gun policies, or we're going to punish you financially. And their ESG scores are far more important to them than their credit ratings anymore. So, uh, I guess maybe we could now say ESG is environment, uh, uh societal and guns agenda, right? Not governance, but that is the way that they're governing. They're governing through these corporations. And I've said this from the very beginning. When you look at censorship and they say, well, this is just the private companies that are doing it. And the private companies can do anything they want. If they want to censor you, they can censor your free speech. I said, I know exactly how this is operated because uh, for 40 years, practically, I've been fighting uh, a third party, 40 years ago, I was fighting with third party and independent candidates trying to get into debates after we had jumped through all the additional hoops to get on the ballot. And they said, well, it's a private organization that's controlling the debates, and they don't want you on there. So there's nothing I can do about it. This isn't coming from the Republicans and Democrats. It's like, but you created that organization. You created the Presidential Debate condition, uh, co- uh, Commission. And you are working with The North Carolina Association of Broadcasters, who's running the debate, but they are, you know, they're a private organization and they don't want any third party candidate on there. Just going to be Republicans and Democrats. And they can do whatever they want. They can shut down speech in the public square. If that was ever a public square, that's the debates. You got three candidates who qualify for the ballot. Oh, we're only going to have two of them on. If ever there was a public square, that's it.
2: And they've used this same gag to
3: gag people. It's a joke to gag people. They use that same justification 30 years ago when I was uh, involved in that, and, and even longer, like I said, 40 years ago, but I got involved with it 30, 35 years ago. And they use that same rationale, that same sick joke, to gag people on social media now. to gag individuals. Free speech of individuals and the free press of journal, uh, you know, journalists exercising the rights of the free press. Uh, this whole idea well, private companies can do anything they want. So the banks can do whatever they want and they want to stop people from being able to buy guns. And UPS can do whatever they want and they want to stop people from shipping guns. And we're now at the mercy of this fascism. Fascism is the uniting of government. In corporations. And that's exactly what this is. It's fascism. Under the new agreement, UPS is only required to give customers a 10-day notice before cutting them off from shipping services. Um, The volume necessary, that is, you gotta have 50 handguns a day, uh, says that most online retailers and manufacturers are now cut off from shipping guns through UPS. Unless the handgun is shipped using the expensive next day air service see they by helping the gun controllers and the democrat party they say well okay okay you can you can run this for a little while longer you can really you know rape these people for charges with next day air uh or and just cut off all the rest of the people oh yeah that sounds good says ups ups told customers It updated its policy, quote-unquote, to adhere to nationwide regulations issued by the BATF and a number of states. Oh, they've been deputized. Okay. Well, um, anti-gun group Giffords Law Center, same one we were just talking about, has pressured FedEx as well as UPS to adopt a policy of refusing to ship dangerous firearm products that are fueling the epidemic of gun violence in America, said Giffords. Uh, Vice President of Gun Owners of America, Eric Pratt, said the Second Amendment protects the right to keep and bear arms, and by default that should include the right of gun makers to ship their firearms to market. If UPS is going to act like an enemy of our constitutional rights, then they shouldn't receive a dime of federal taxpayer money. Well, they shouldn't be getting a dime of federal taxpayer money in the first place. Uh, but um, you know, we have to understand what this process is. Whether you're talking about the attacks on the First Amendment or the attacks on the Second Amendment, you have to understand that the government is using these corporations as pirates, essentially, to steal these things from us. Our most precious possessions are not our homes and our cars. It's our God-given rights. And the government has organized these pirates, these corporations, to act as pirates. Uh, just call them privateers. It's the same thing that Queen Elizabeth I did with Francis Drake and the Sea Dogs. To uh, oh, it's not me. It's, I'm not. You know, I'm not using British flagships to attack you. Uh, these people are just privateers. They're doing it on their own, out of their own initiative. They're doing this when they were really doing what Queen Elizabeth wanted. Uh, didn't fool the Spanish either. Um, <laughs> take a break we'll be right back uh, stay
1: Chicago's Big Ten team the Northwestern Wildcats kick off their season in Evanston with Duke on September 10th you don't want to miss attending games that include Duke Wisconsin and Ohio State This season, there is a ticket option for everyone in every schedule from season tickets to mini plans to single game tickets. There's an option for you. Purchase your tickets today at nusports.com backslash tickets. Don't wait to get your tickets today at nusports.com backslash tickets. Go Cats!
0: My house needs a refresh. As a DIY lover, my go-to for kitchen and bath is Studio 41. Vanities, faucets, tile, Studio 41 has an amazing selection of in-stock items. Visit ShopStudio41.com for a location near you.
3: The David Knight Show. Let's talk a little bit about headline news. One of the things that I saw this weekend, which which really amazed me, was that you have U.S. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, saying that he's concerned that criticism of the Supreme Court has uh, veered into attacks on its legitimacy as an institution. Oh, really? Uh, (laughs) Now, isn't it interesting, as we talk about the Supreme Court's legitimacy as an institution. Um, He said people can say what they want. He said late Friday at a conference in Colorado Springs where lawyers and judges gathered to discuss legal developments. He said you can say what you want, but simply because people disagree with an opinion is not a basis for questioning the legitimacy of the court. Well, I would ask Chief Justice Roberts if somebody disagrees with a decision, somebody within the court, uh, somebody who is a justice or a clerk or something like that, somebody in that close circle, if they disagree with the decision, is it okay to leak that decision? And who is it that leaked the decision? You know, we were told by Roberts that this is very serious and he's going to move heaven and earth to find out who that leaker was. Have you heard anything lately about any investigation of who the leaker was? No, it's been crickets, hasn't it? And I said when it happened, I said, I believe the person who did it was John Roberts. And I gave you the reasons for it. Uh, I believed that uh, he was trying to uh, put pressure on them. Uh, He was uh, not happy with the fact that they were going to go against a court precedent. Um, I don't think he cares that much about abortion one way or the other. But Roe v. Wade was a very important case for them because just like these executive orders of national emergencies, uh, what Roe v. Wade did, and it was why it was such an important decision of uh, what Clarence Thomas and uh, uh, Samuel Alito did when they went in and basically said, you know, we've got a Tenth Amendment, and these types of things should not even be decided by the federal government. They should be decided by the state government. And, and they threw a monkey wrench in that. You know, we had with Marbury versus Madison early on, right after uh, the republic was created, the Supreme Court gave itself the power to shut down any law that they disagreed with by declaring it unconstitutional. And Thomas Jefferson said, "Well, that's it. You let that thing stand. We've lost the Constitution." And then when you had Roe v. Wade, they so they gave themselves veto power, but with Roe v. Wade, they gave themselves the power. I think to uh, at least it was how it was used the power to legislate, not just to veto, but to legislate and to create legislation. And that was, and I say that because what have we heard for the last 50 or so years? Well, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land and so forth and so on. So that implies that the Supreme Court can legislate. It implies that the Supreme Court can modify the constitution. And that's why that was a very important decision. That's one of the reasons Why, besides the ways that uh, the conduct was uh, done, that I believe that it was John Roberts, and my suspicions have only grown more firm as I look at the lack of an investigation several months on. Uh, He would like for this to just go away. He would like for the controversy to go away, and he is not going to do anything in terms of investigating that. The Supreme Court is being asked to undo confiscation of a $60,000 home for a $5,000 tax bill. Uh, we've seen this type of thing over and over again, which is why <clears throat> when I saw that JP Morgan had filed, you know, uh, to uh, confiscate a yacht, that was a, a yacht rather that was confiscated as part of these Russian sanctions. And the yacht was worth sixty some odd million dollars, and J.P. Morgan had twenty some odd million dollar loan on it, and they filed that order. And so, based on what I saw in the article, it looked like they were going to say, "Well, you know, we've got that loan on it, so we're going to take it." Uh, but subsequent to that, I was uh, notified by a listener. I appreciate him giving me the update. He said, uh, "Well, no, look at these stories." They made, uh, in that particular article, they didn't talk about other articles, mentioned the fact that uh, J.P. Morgan said, we're only going to take what is owed us. And it's not clear what was going to happen to the other 40-some-odd million dollars. Probably the government would keep it, I guess. I don't know. But they were saying, no, we're only going to go for the money that was owed us, and you can do whatever you want to with the rest of this stuff. So I reported that, and I said one of the reasons why I, I... you know, it wasn't that wasn't specifically stated in the article, and one of the reasons that I thought that that wasn't going to be what happened was because we've seen so many of these forfeiture things and confiscations, that, but it's typically the government that is doing it, and that is what's happening here. Uh, in this particular situation, there's not even something about the war on drugs. These, this uh, in this particular situation, um, <clears throat> you have in Nebraska. Uh, The story says, uh, the outside world came to a screeching halt for Kevin Fair in 2013. His wife, Terry, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and he had to quit his job so he could care for her at uh, their Scotts Bluff, Nebraska home, where they had lived for nearly two decades. The home had been a wedding gift from his mother. After her diagnosis, the couple had only Social Security income. And they failed to pay their 2014 property tax of $588. $588. Uh, then the county sold the home to Continental Resources and sent that company bills for 2015 and 16. And so on the basis of that, on the basis of a $588 bill that was not paid, they ramped it up with fees and other things up to $5,000. And the home itself is worth $60,000. So because they didn't pay the government $588 tax, the government and their corporate agents in this fascist system of government that we have is going to steal the home uh, for <clears throat> what is now, they say, well, you've got to have a payment of uh, $5,200 now because they've multiplied this. Just last week I was talking about uh, the story of an elderly lady, I think she's in her 80s now, she was a very young child, her parents uh, were Jewish in, um, <clears throat> in Europe, and at the time of, uh, of uh, World War II, and, and the rest of the stuff, and they set aside some money that was in an account, uh, and uh, they escaped to America. And uh, she was aware of the account, but she hadn't done anything with it, and it was a Fairly large account. I mean, it was significant size, and um, you know, it was uh, millions of dollars. And the IRS penalized her, two point one million dollars, because she didn't file the appropriate forms to report that she had that uh, account abroad. Uh, not that she had avoided paying any income on anything that she had withdrawn from it, but just the fact that it was just sitting there unused, and she didn't tell them about it. They came after her for $2.1 million, and her attorneys argued that this is excessive fines. And they replied, and they said, no, it's not a fine, it's a penalty. <laughs> right? It's not a fine, it's a penalty. It's not, it's not a fine, it's forfeiture. We're not stealing this from you. We're calling it something else. It's just semantics. The Eighth Amendment prohibits fines that are grossly disproportionate to the gravity of the offense and taking a $60,000 home to punish a struggling owner like Mr. Fair for a $588 bill is unjust and grossly disproportionate to his failure to pay his debt on time, said the foundation. And so uh, they're hoping that they're going to get a hearing from the Supreme Court. We'll see what the Supreme Court is made of, won't we? I mean, you're going to let people use semantics and say, well, you know, you violated a rule." that was created by the bureaucracy is a rule that was created by the IRS or it was a rule that's created by the DEA or a rule that was created by the FAA. When they said, we're going to find people $25,000 if they don't register their little toy drones. And, um, uh, so they create the rules. It's not a law. It wasn't created by legislators. And so that's why these people are playing the semantics. I said, well, you know, if it had been voted on by Congress and they made a law, then, yeah, the Eighth Amendment would apply. But since this is a rule that was created by the bureaucracy to whom Congress has abdicated their authority and allowed them to write law, we have uh, taxation without representation, we have regulation without representation, we have fines without any constitutional protection, you don't have the presumption of innocent until proven guilty, you don't get due process, you don't get a trial, they can confiscate and penalize you without... Trial without any of these things. And uh, under the war on drugs, they can confiscate your property without even charging you with anything. So uh, that's where we are today. <clears throat> Speaking of the war on drugs, Free Thought Project has an article A former drug addict creates a life saving addiction program that works in spite of the war on drugs. And they have a picture of him as a younger man. And then a picture of him today holding up a, there he is, holding up a um, t shirt that says, the uh, coffee pot at your local 12 step meeting has done more to combat addiction than the entire DEA. Oh, that's absolutely right. Uh, the only thing, says the Free Thought Project, the only thing that uh, the government offered Drew was jail time and a criminal record, and he could still get drugs in jail. I've talked about that. The number, you know, do you realize that there's several hundred drug overdoses in jails every year? I remember reporting on a story years ago where there was, was a mother who was in Maryland, and her son was abusing drugs. She couldn't get him to stop. She was worried he was going to kill himself with an overdose. And so she reported him to the government, hoping that they would lock him up and that would cause him to get off of drugs. He would be locked up in prison and have to quit cold turkey because he couldn't get drugs in prison. Well, he didn't have any trouble getting drugs in prison. And he died of an overdose shortly afterwards. And I said, when I talked about that, I said, can you imagine if we have a system that, uh, you know, whenever you set up prohibition, you... uh, establish a, a mechanism that is going to corrupt law enforcement corrupt the courts corrupt the prison guards and you know massive corruption everywhere i said can you imagine what kind of a society if we're going to try to stop drug use by law enforcement what kind of a society are we going to have to create if you can't stop drug use even in a prison we're going to have to have something that is worse than a prison and probably it still won't stop it. But that's where we're headed if we're going to follow policies of prohibition. If we're not going to acknowledge, as this guy did, that it is a medical issue, a psychological issue, a spiritual issue. If we're going to try to use, uh, because we've got the tool of law enforcement and police and prisons. If we're going to try to use a hammer against everything, because that's the only tool we've got then uh, we've seen what that looks like for the last 50 years. Instead of realizing the horrific nature of the enforcement of prohibition, many cities across the country doubled down on the drug war instead of admitting failure. As we can see from watching it unfold, this only leads to more suffering and more crime. Luckily, there are cities, and now entire states and other parts of the country, that are taking steps to stop this violent war, and the implications for such measures are beneficial to all humankind. But it's just not happening fast enough. Despite kidnapping and caging people for illegal substances for decades, the U.S. currently finds itself in the worst overdose epidemic in history. The solutions offered by the state are not saving lives, and the current crisis illustrates their solutions, quote-unquote, aren't solutions at all, and they're making the problems worse. Fortunately, there are forces outside of the state that are working to stop this problem, and unlike the government, it's effective. Meet Drew Cook. Former vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, Spike Cohen, released a series of tweets this week explaining Cook's history with drugs, what he did to overcome that history, and how he channels that history now in order to save lives. According to the Post, Cook was a hardcore IV drug user for over 12 years, and when Cook needed help, the only help the state offered was in the form of chains and metal bars that don't work. After he hit rock bottom in 2012, Cook knew something had to change, so he sought support from substance abuse groups, and he got sober that year. Since then, he's spearheaded his own groups, and he's figured out ways to help others who are in similar situations. Uh, So in early 2021, he founded the LP Sober Caucus, and since then, he and other Libertarian Party members have handed out hundreds of fentanyl testing strips and Uh, Set up drug-free hospitality rooms at LP conventions across the country. Well, again, we look at it and there are solutions that don't have anything to do with law enforcement. And um, unfortunately, law enforcement is being overwhelmed in Mexico and many other places because they have created a monopoly for the worst of uh, the people in our society. Uh, just as uh, alcohol prohibition created uh, Al Capone and a lot of the mafia, this thing has been running for 50 years, and it has created some horrific uh, adverse effects, if you will. Uh, no, the reality is, as the 12-point programs have shown, uh, they're vaguely Christian, but there is power in Christ to get rid of these, uh, these things that are possessing you. That are enslaving you. And that's the key thing. And it's so sad to see that that is not uh, being seen by so many people. One of the things that is uh, possessing us and enslaving us, of course, is our own government. As we see a report from CNS News that Americans spent more on taxes in 2021 than they did on food, on clothing, and on health care combined. More than food, clothing, and health care combined on taxes. That's why I said for the longest time, you know, they talk about the expenses of healthcare, And I said, well, if you're really concerned about that, then instead of putting the government in charge of it, first thing you could do is allow us to deduct it fully because, you know, there's restrictions. It's a percentage of your income that you have to exceed your taxable income before you get anything that's a deduction. And of course, if you take a deduction, uh, you know, if you're in a 20% tax bracket, that means that you're only going to save with that deduction 20% of the dollars that you would have paid in taxes. If you get a tax credit, that's a dollar for dollar savings on your taxes. So I said, if they're right, and I think they are, that um, medical care is too expensive and that it is very, very important, then allow us please to pay for our medical care before we send you our tax dollars. Maybe you could allow us to pay for our food before we send you our tax dollars. Because right now, they're getting more taxes from us than we spend on food, clothing, and healthcare combined. During 2021, American consumer units, this is the way it's being <laughs> The uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics now has something they call a consumer unit. We'll come back to that in a minute. But they're saying that Americans spent on average, their consumer unit, spent on average on food, clothing, and health care combined, while paying an average of $16,700 in total taxes to federal, state, and local governments. How do they define consumer units? I think this is kind of one of the more interesting aspects of the story. Frankly, we know that taxes are record high, Uh, but a consumer unit is something that has now been created by the Bureau of Labor Statistics because they don't like these terms of family. Or household. I guess they're just too patri- patriarchal, uh, too traditional. So we've got to come up with something we'll call a consumer unit. And they have three different possible definitions for a consumer unit. It can be either, number one, all members of a particular household who are related by blood, marriage, adoption, or other legal arrangements. Or it could be, number two, persons living alone or sharing a household with others or living as a roomer in a private home. Uh, or number three, two or more persons living together who use their income to make joint expenditure decisions because that's where we are with a breakdown of the family. And of course, one of the things that has broken down the family so much is higher taxes. If you go back and you look at the 1950s, for example, um, well, even before that, when the income tax was created, it was a tax on income. What was income? It wasn't wages. And we were told that it was going to be a tax. It was going to be less than 1% on the 1% of the wealthiest people or less. And that's the way they began. That's the way these things always began. How do you turn everything upside down? Well, like Fauci said, you do it from the inside, you do it with disruption, and you do it iteratively. And so they did it iteratively. When they got to World War II, they put on, they said, you know, times are tough. We got to pay for the war. So we're going to put a temporary tax on to pay for. Uh, on your wages but it'll end after the war well it didn't end after the war Uh, technically legally it it did but uh, they continued to intimidate people after that but even by the 1950s as they continued this wage tax you had a situation where in a typical family uh, that at that period of time uh, husband and wife married imagine that you remember those days Uh, husband and wife married and they have two kids well typically Um, the, um, they were paying about 2% in taxes. Fast forward a few decades when I started talking about this back in the nineties, you had, um, the, uh, wife had gone to work to try to help make ends meet. And instead of the family of four paying 2% of their income in taxes, now they're paying about 28%, which was about what the average working wife was paying. They had put the mothers to work in order to pay the big tax bills. And now we're paying more in taxes than we do for food, clothing, and healthcare combined. You wanna talk about the Great Reset? It's been running for a long time, hasn't it? You wanna know what these IRS agents are gonna be doing? They're gonna be shutting down crypto, but they're gonna be coming after the middle class. And they're gonna be one of the key tools and making sure that you own nothing, that you own nothing. Uh, We have the guaranteed income programs are spreading city by city. And in this story from the leftist press that is curated and promoted by Matt Drudge now, uh, the headline says, guaranteed income programs are spreading city by city. They talk about uh, this uh, person who is having trouble making ends meet. Um, she is um doing phone work from home after the pandemic, and she can't make ends meet, so now they're going to give her monthly payments of a thousand dollars for a year thousand dollars of a month uh, each month about twelve thousand dollars poverty universal basic poverty is what this is. She said it helped me from hitting rock bottom. no, it's training you to be a slave it's training you for welfare dependency, and it's surprising to me to see how people like Charles Murray, who wrote the book, Losing Ground, in the 1980s, talking about the failure of the welfare state, saying it was doing more harm than good. It wasn't the handouts were making people dependent on government. And it put them in this endless cycle of dependency and slavery. And that became the basis for some of the things that were being done by the Reagan administration to try to to pull back the abuses of the Great Society Welfare State. But now Charles Murray, who wrote Losing Ground and who knows better, is now all about universal basic income. Why?
2: Because he's with them. He's with them.
3: It's we the people versus they the elitists. Uh, The people who are running the think tanks, the institutions, the corporations, the multinational corporations, and the governments, and it doesn't matter, what their political philosophy is. It doesn't matter what their political party is. It doesn't matter which company it is. They, the political elites are aligned against we the people and this stuff, trying to enslave us when they know that these policies will not liberate us, but they will enslave us. Yeah, they're coming after us with the CBDC and that type of thing. And if you want to, uh, do something to prepare for it again. Tony Ardman has been a great supporter of this program, uh, and uh, he sells gold and silver and even Bitcoin. And uh, he's graciously put up a website, DavidKnight.Gold, to take you there. And um, he has, uh, and he gives us a commission if people buy through that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We're going to talk about the developing race war and other. Uh, headline news, and then we're going to get into uh, what is happening with the pharmacia. Stay with us. We'll be right.
0: Finally, my in-home dream spa is becoming a reality. Studio 41 had all the bathroom fixtures I needed to make my own oasis. Bathtubs, rain heads, steam, and more. Studio 41 made the selection process easy and fun. Visit shopstudio41.com to get started. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local Croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Grab a stationary bike and go for a spin. Dribble, score, and take home a win. Become a lifeguard to save the day and try Aquafit along the way. Price is so low, you're gonna flip for more than just a gym membership. Click on the link and see what you think, then take a walk to your local Croc. Right back.
3: Seat telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to the David Knight Show. All right, is the U.S. on the horizon of a civil war? We've seen this question asked over and over again, and you can see the polls that show that of all adults, when they asked this in a scientific poll, um, they said about 43% of all adults said, Yeah, I think we're headed toward a civil war. It's slightly lower with Democrats, but it's much higher with Republicans. Fifty-four percent of Republicans think that we're headed for a civil war. Perhaps it's because they see the actions of their own government uh, calling people who speak out at school board meetings terrorists. Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of a clue. But I think one of the other aspects of this, and a key part of why the critical race theory is being taught in schools, uh, now being taught in K-12, through 12, just like it's been taught for years in colleges, I think what they're doing is they're trying to push us into a race war. If you go back and you look at the weather underground, people like Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, they were going around uh, trying to start a Marxist revolution. Uh, they were using the traditional tactics that have been used in Europe, talking about class warfare and economics from a class standpoint. That wasn't getting a lot of traction, and after the two of them were able to escape terrorism charges, they blew up buildings, some people were killed, uh, but they were able to escape those charges because they were very well-connected with their families, very elitist, very wealthy, these revolutionaries. And then uh, you had Bill Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn go into education in in Chicago, uh, and they were very effective there. They decided they'd stop blowing up mines and they would start blowing up, children, uh, stop blowing up uh, buildings and start blowing up the minds of kids through the educational system. Uh, they were the ones who were pushing, as a part of this movement, the idea of white skin privilege. They didn't create that term, but they pushed it and popularized it through their educational connections. And then they just shortened it up to white privilege. And so now the Marxist revolution in America has been focused more on race than on upward mobility. And it seems to be working. When you look at what happened in Memphis last week, uh, this uh, guy decided he would just go around uh, shooting people. Now, that was not a racist attack. Uh, the first person he shot was a friend of his who was also black, and the last person he shot in the back was... a. Uh, a uh, young black girl, about 18 years old. But now you see that uh, some video has surfaced of some uh, other young thugs in Memphis uh, boasting about how they want to shoot white people. So now they want to make it a race war. Uh, here's the clip, and then we'll have the translation for you afterwards. White folks finna be racist. They might
6: not on oh God, my wife. They might, why, they might folks not finna like lie. black people. No then, then they're gonna be, they're gonna be marching on the river saying, "White lies, Malia, y'all let it through." Y'all yeah. Yeah. White first folks it, finna hate black what? people. I, hate, it, but, I hope y'all know it. Hey,
4: Freestyle Elise Fletcher. They I me mean, I mean, take this shit right, back to racism. Right. Oh, I hope y'all ready. Let me see what they Fletcher. I'm saying,
6: i here go Zemo. I'm number white people. I get any white hoe on the side of me, don't get popped tonight.
7: Check, but he already me. shot a white old
6: man. I'm finna you shoot a white old lady. She ain't. No, grandkids are cops? don't
3: no, no, <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, we're gonna need to have a translation here. Let, let's bring in somebody who uh, speaks Jive. Mm-hmm.
7: <laughs> Can I get you something? She mofo butter laying me the bone, jacking me up. Tight me.
0: I'm sorry, I don't understand.
7: Cuddy say it can't hang. Oh, it's Judas. I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him.
0: All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine?
7: Just hang loose blood. She's going to catch up with a rebound on the med side.
0: What it is, Big Mama. My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Copy some slack, Jack. Chomp cutting 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 do sure don't want to help. Chomp don't, don't get the help. Say, say can't hang, say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains
3: him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Memphis Police Department brought in somebody to do a drive translation of that video. And it goes something like this: He already shot a white hoe. Man, I'm fixing to shoot a white old lady while her grandkids in the car. And uh they discussed shooting white people. They name the suspected gunman, Ezekiel, uh, who went on a shooting spree uh, and the day before. And uh, they really like what he did. They want to copy what he did. But they want to make it this time, they want to make it about race. Which not even that guy who live streamed the census violence did. So the Memphis uh, Police Department uh, says, uh, On Thursday we were advised of uh, threats of violence directed at members of our community. These terroristic threats are posted on social media platforms. The two suspects making these threats are described as two black males between the ages of 18 and 21. Investigators need assistance identifying the in- individuals in the video. Uh, if the arrest is made, you could get a cash reward of up to $2,000. I think they have arrested at least one of these guys at this point in time. But see, they want this. This is, They want Republicans and Democrats fighting each other. Uh, they want people uh, for their political tribe. They want people fighting... Over skin color, everything that is being done now, especially by the Biden administration, it's all about divide and conquer. And we have to not fall into that trap. The Department of Justice official uh, Eric P. Bruskin, he's the assistant director of commercial litigation branch in the Department of Justice's Civil Division, and he took it upon himself on LinkedIn to criticize a colleague, another lawyer because the guy was going to be making a speech at an organization, what was the organization? The ADF, it's a conservative organization that protects people for religious freedom. It's the Alliance Defending Freedom. I talked about these people years ago with, um, if you remember the IRS intimidation and prohibition of um, uh, certain churches, not all churches, right? Uh, black inner city churches were allowed to have political figures come in and make speeches and that. Everybody looked the other way. As a matter of fact, they applauded that. But they would intimidate people with what they called the Johnson Amendment. They would intimidate other churches, especially conservatives, and say, you better not say anything about politics or we'll, uh, we'll take away your tax deduction. And it gets to be a very messy thing if they were to do that because if they revoked the tax deduction, deduction uh, status of a church or something like that. Theoretically, I guess, I don't know. They could go back previous years and create a really big mess for anybody that had donated to that church. And then, um, you know, they say, well, that's not a qualified uh, charity anymore, so now you got to pay this stuff with penalties and fees and that type of thing, potentially. But uh, it wasn't, um, even though they called it the Johnson Amendment, it was all being done as a bluff. There was no amendment. To the concert. They called it the Johnson Amendment. LBJ had uh, some churches who challenged him when he was running as a congressman, or I think he was a congressman before he became vice president and then president. And so he had some churches that opposed him in, a, in a, an election, and he decided that he would gag them and shut them down and use the IRS. And so uh, he proposed a rule rather than having the IRS write a rule. Okay, He proposed and got people to sign on to it. And they called it the Johnson Amendment. They said, you will not talk about politics in the pulpit. But, of course, they had looked the other way. If it was liberal black churches, they had looked the other way. So a few years ago, uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom and some other people had organized a thing called Pulpit Freedom Sunday. And at first they had just three churches who said, well, we're going to talk about politics and we're going to call their bluff because, first of all, this isn't an amendment of anything. Uh, and it's in direct uh, violation of the Constitution. As a matter of fact, in the Revolutionary War, the church pulpits were some of the most effective uh, places to build a political consensus for independence. They called the clergy the Black Regiment because at the time they typically were dressing in black robes. And so the first year it happened, you had three churches who uh, recorded the sermon, and they were very specific about particular policies and even politicians that they endorsed or opposed. And so they mentioned that as part of their uh, service and they uh, sent an audio recording of it along with a transcript to the IRS, daring them to do something. Come on, bring it on. We want to have a trial. The IRS didn't want to have a trial about that because they knew they'd lose. Uh, Just like the the government doesn't want to try this 9-11 mastermind. (laughs) They they would rather operate under the pretense that the emperor has closed, that the emperor has uh, the authority to do what he's doing, and they don't. And so the next year, after nothing was done with those three people, it grew. And it was a couple of dozen, and then it grew every year. And so uh, after a while, um, the the, the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, had made their point. Uh, but i I interviewed them at that point in time, and and it was a very powerful way to do it and now they are defending people who are being bullied by the gay mafia and there's a lot of gay people who understand that the LGBT political organizations are organized into a mafia. They don't approve of it, many of them, just like uh played for you. Uh, within the last couple of months, I can forget what the date was, but I, I played a clip from a, a lady who was a lesbian and she said, if I had known that they were going to take this thing and use it against kids, I would have never fought for my rights. And I regret that I did because of the way this is being used against kids. Now, this whole LGBT thing, the transgender thing, uh, but the Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled the ADF a hate group. And so the way this, uh, applies to this department of justice official, um, he, um, uh, th- there was a guy, Jason wider wider, a former assistant us attorney in Massachusetts. And so these guys are both, uh, us attorneys. And so, you know, they're LinkedIn on uh, professionally on LinkedIn. And so the one guy, uh, sees uh, uh, Jason, uh, wider, the former assistant says that he is going to be, he's honored to be speaking at an ADF event to which the current assistant director of the Department of Justice Civil Division says, Jason, this is a hate group. You're speaking at a conference for a hate group. Are these the beliefs that you hold? If so, then it's time that we end our professional association. Now, Bruskin had previously worked for the ACLU. And uh, so after this happened, uh, Bruskin, the ACLU liberal, was criticized for calling the ADF a hate group, a move that violates the Department of Justice's employee policy regarding how federal government employees should use social media. But again, the ADF is uh, targeted and labeled by the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, itself a hate group, uh, as a hate group. Uh, ADF's longstanding antipathy, says the uh, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, towards LGBT people has become public through its work on lawsuits various statements that its leaders have made, and materials that it has offered on its website over the year. They've been defending Christians from bullying attacks like, you know, you're going to bake a custom cake for our wedding and we're going to rub your nose in it because you're a Christian, you know, that type of thing. And so uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, the ADF, pushed back against the Southern Poverty Law Center's claims, uh, said the SPLC, is using this term of hate groups to silence dissent and to pick on religious conservatives. They said, if the price of holding our traditional religious beliefs and speaking in, on them in public discourse is to earn a place on the, quote, hate map, unquote, then we'll view SPLC slander as a badge of honor. I do. I do. I've been put on their map long ago. Southern Poverty Law Center, the uh, ADL, um, and um, Anti-Defamation League. As a matter of fact, the, the, those groups are the ones that got me banned from PayPal and Venmo, I believe, uh, because they've been identifying people, just like we were talking about earlier with the gun groups, the gun retailers. You know, They have Operation Choke Point to shut down the Second Amendment, strangle people financially. They, use, um, they have other ways besides uh, choking you out. They can also uh, tie you up and gag you <laughs> if it's the First Amendment that they want to get. They can do that financially as well. Uh, I was disappointed to see, and there's been a lot of talk about people, again, the tribalism that we see, Republicans and Democrats, all these people supporting Sarah Palin. Uh, and, and in order to try to support Sarah Palin, the narrative has come out, not that Sarah Palin lost an election, but the fact that she lost it because of a ranked choice voting system. And I was very sad to see LifeSite News has been very good on, um, Uh, vaccine, freedom issues, and on abortion. It's a Catholic site. I was sad to see them fall for this narrative, hook, line, and sinker, and do a very long article about this, as a matter of fact. Ranked choice voting, they said, is the left's latest scheme to subvert America's elections. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, the issue in any election is counting the votes, and that is a separate issue from the ranked choice voting. And I. We'll focus on this because, first of all, I'm sick of the the tribalism and the mindless defense of somebody who is not a conservative. Sarah Palin is not a conservative. She was a running mate for John McCain, and she saved his bacon when he was about to get lost because she used her perception of being a conservative to come in and campaign for him. And then beyond that, she's just a flake who just dropped out from being governor and actually wants to get back into politics. So the real issue is the counting of the votes. Always has been, always will be. And the only solution for that is eternal vigilance and hand ballots and watching them count the ballots and having a single-day election. You can have uh, absentee ballots like we've done for a long time. That's not going to be that big. It's going to affect anything. But this whole thing that was set up by Trump, with a lockdown election, the mail out ballots is what they were. They weren't mail in, they were mail out. They're mailing out more ballots than they had to people. All of that stuff, the electronic voting machines, all the rest of the stuff, that's where the problem is. And so by focusing on ranked choice voting, you're missing the real problem, number one. Number two, uh, you're pushing a narrative and they don't even understand why the ranked choice voting is being attacked. Ranked, Choice voting is a threat to the political duopoly of Republicans and Democrats. It's just that simple, and it's why they are pushing this. It's why the Republican Party is pushing it. They care more about stopping that than they do about supporting Sarah Palin. Uh, it is, uh, and part of the problem with the Republicans, just like it is with Sarah Palin, the Democrats are honest about the fact that they want to steal your liberties, gag you. Act as tyrants. The Republicans do the same thing for the most part, but they just lie to your face about it. And then, after they get elected, they they rule as Democrats. But getting back to the ranked uh, uh, ranked choice voting, uh, this this is the way the article runs out. I mean, it was just her race to win, right? And well, no, actually, we'll show that it wasn't with her universal name ID. With her inarguable MAGA credentials, Palin was an early supporter of Trump in 2016, and he returned the favor in 2022. In a state that went red by double-digit margins in both 2016 and 2020, the political climate favoring Republicans nationwide, things were looking good for Alaska's former Governor Palin in the race to replace the Republican uh, congressman who died in office. Had a traditional election been held in Alaska, Palin may well be on her way to Washington as we speak. But instead, she's preparing for the regularly scheduled election in November, where she'll face not only Alaska's new congresswoman-elect, a Democrat, for a full term that begins in January, but a second Republican and even a Libertarian for good measure. How in the world could we have such a crowded ballot, you might ask? Well, they said this. if this sounds unusual, if it sounds convoluted, or if it just sounds downright confusing, Well, you can think Alaska's new ranked choice voting system. We shouldn't be having so many choices. I mean, it's just too confusing. I remember the astonishment of Boris Yeltsin when he went to a supermarket in Houston. And he just couldn't believe all the choices that were there. How, How do you make a decision? I mean, you got like, you know, a half dozen different brands of everything, you know. From baked beans to soap or more. How do you handle that? You know, in, in Russia, uh, in Soviet Union, we have uh, two choices. You either get it or you don't get it. If it's in stock, you know, you get in a line and you wait and they ration it out to you. And it's the one thing. So it's either there or it's not there.
2: And, you know, when you look at politics,
3: um, that's one of the problems. You know, you, you, you have to vote for a candidate. It's a whole basket of a bunch of different things. Uh, Some of those things you like in the basket, a lot of them you really don't like. And then there's another basket that's brought to you, and you look in that, that's the other party, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff in there I don't like either. And you wind up voting for what you, the least of the bad options. The problem is, is that... uh, These people continually take away market choices from us. When you go to a grocery store, what do you do? Every day you're voting. When you make a selection, you're voting for that brand of baked beans or that brand of soap or whatever. And even if you make a mistake and you buy something that turns out to not be that good, that was your choice. But when you vote for that basket of politicians, (laughs) you don't even get what you voted for. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you, you put the wrong thing in my basket here. I, I voted for the wall and instead I got this other thing or whatever, you know, with, with Trump. Um, but, uh, it's not confusing at all. As a matter of fact, um, the, um, They said, now in effect, Alaska's ranked choice voting law eliminates the state's individual Republican and Democrat party primaries and replaces them with what's called a nonpartisan blanket primary, wherein all candidates seeking the same office run on the same ballot regardless of party affiliation. That's the problem, you see. That's why the GOP doesn't like it. Because... You know, there would be the Democrats complaining about it if it was in a uh, Democrat state. So Republicans complaining about it now because it's in a Republican state. It breaks the partisan Hegelian dialectic. You choose this, you choose A or B. You're not going to have any other choices. And so in that particular situation, you wind up voting for, you wind up voting against somebody instead of voting for something. So how does it work? They know how it works. In this LifeSite News article, they understand exactly how it works. They say, for example, if no candidate receives more than 50% of the vote through the first round, then um, after all the first choice votes are counted. So basically you got four people on there. Then when you vote, you say, well, this is my number one choice. That's my number two, my number three, my number four. And so first of all, they look at everybody's number one choice. If nobody is more than 50%, then what you do is you throw out the candidate with the lowest numbers, and you reallocate their votes to other people. Nobody's losing any votes, right? And so Palin came in second place. And Begich, the third uh, candidate that was on it in this special election, came in third place with 29% of the vote. But the problem for Palin was, was that uh, of those approximately 30% of that vote, uh, she was only able to get uh, about 30% of them to vote for her. So Begich, who is a Republican, right, um, she lost, I'm sorry, she didn't get uh, uh, that, it was 38%, It's nearly 40% of the vote that she was able to retain. In other words, she was not the number two choice of the Republicans, presumably, who had voted for Nick Begich, the third. Uh, if she could have kept all of his Republican votes, then she would have easily won. But 38% of the people who voted for Begich did not have her as their second choice. But the narrative that she and the Republican press is putting out is that he cost her the Republican vote. No, she couldn't keep 40% of the people who voted for her fellow Republican. That's her problem. Uh, personally, I can't help but notice the irony of Begich's post-election criticism of Palin. Says the, uh, This is how they end up the article. I couldn't notice the irony of his criticism of Palin when, if just 5,000 of his own 10,000 voters who refused to rank anyone else had picked Palin as their number two. If that had happened, Alaska would still be red. See, they know exactly what the problem is. He knows that half of the people, approximately, who voted for Begich, the, Repub- the other Republican, didn't choose her as their number two choice. That has nothing to do with the rank preferences. It has to do with a weak candidate who is a, not a genuine conservative. Um, well, we're almost, we've got about 10 minutes. I'm going to take a quick break, very quick break, and we're going to be right back. And I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, climate. Uh, something did not happen the way they wanted it to in an interview. we'll be. If
0: you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local crock. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, zoom when the rhythm calls, take music lessons or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Grab a stationary bike and go for a spin. Dribble, score, and take home a win. Become a lifeguard to save the day and try AquaFit along the way. Price is so low, you're gonna flip for more than just a gym membership. Click on the link and see what you think, then take a walk to your local croc.
3: Be right back. Using free speech to free minds. It's the David Knight Show. Uh, before I say anything else, I'd like to thank those who have left some tips on RockFan. Thank you very much, Angus Mustang. Uh, and Mark M228. Uh, these are names that I see all the time as regular supporters. And Angus uh, writes, uh, Thank you, David and the Knight family, for all the work you do to produce your show. Well, thank you, Angus. We couldn't do it uh, without your support. And Mark M228, thank you as well. Well, RT uh, brought a guy on to talk about climate change, and they didn't get what they wanted, interestingly enough. Uh, they. <laughs> Uh, they brought a guy on who was an astrophysicist, Piers Corbin, a physicist, a meteorologist, and the older brother of the former UK Labor Party leader, Jeremy Corbin. So I guess they figured, you know, since he's a brother of a Labor Party leader who's all about green this and green that, uh, that this guy who's a meteorologist, he would be all over man-made climate change. Uh, the article from uh, Zero Hedge, <laughs> it says, given that it's all settled science,
5: I was probably expecting a. Is about climate change. Meteorologist, elder, Labor Party leader, um. Key, that the. But this has nothing to do with man. Dad believes that change by cyclical activity on the, that the sun has more to do with SUV
3: at all. As a matter of fact, I find, I find that to be ludicrous in the extreme. Anyway, uh, so he says, uh, for one thing, this is what Corbin said, for one thing, science doesn't do settled opinion. (laughs) Science doesn't do settled opinion. Uh, If you're not allowed to question it, if you're not allowed to debate it, well then guess what? It's not science. Science is only advanced with skepticism. And if it's true, it can withstand the test. If you go the other way, as we see with um, Fauci and others, uh, what you're talking about is an argument from authority. That was called by Francis Bacon, who formulated the scientific method. He called that academia. Right. And, uh, so if you're going to have the institutions, <clears throat> the uh, academic <clears throat> institutions, because of that point in time, uh, you didn't have government getting involved in intellectual or scientific uh, issues like this, by the way, that's not the role of government either. So it's not science if you do this and it's not a legitimate government if you do it either. But he said, so for one thing, science doesn't do settled opinions. And for another, They're all wrong. (laughs) And so then the anchor comes back and goes, but surely man has something to do with this. And Corbin says, no, the only connection is that man is here at the same time as the sun and the moon are doing things. (laughs) So then the frustrated anchor falls back on the consensus and says, so how come then there's so many climate change scientists that disagree with you and they get so much support for that? Corbin's laughing response was straightforward. Those that say this are just trying to make money. They're on the gravy train for heaven's sake. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Uh, China is uh, creating a digital twin of Americans. So I wonder what they're going to do with um, your evil twin. <laughs> is this, are they going to have like, uh, I saw this headline. I thought, what? And this is one of the best clickbait headlines I've ever seen anywhere. China creates digital twins of Americans, says a former DOD cybersecurity expert. So I guess one by one, they're going to do a Manchurian candidate replacement on each and every one of us. (laughs) So if uh, you turn on the the broadcast tomorrow and all of a sudden I sound like Fox News or CNN, you know that they got to me. (laughs) The invasion of the body snatchers or something. Uh, This is coming from Epic Times, and it is an epic uh, clickbait title. Uh, These firms that are linked to uh, gathering American DNA, there's many of them that are linked with the uh, Chinese military, capable of creating digital replicas of Americans. Ap- according to John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy, strategy, internal affairs at the Department of Defense, uh, they have the capability to create these complex models of each of us. Well, I don't uh, think that is really what they're trying to do, but they do get in this Uh, they do get to a point that I think is credible and should be of concern. They can do all kinds of nefarious things with no constraint or loss. And here's the key. The data could be used to tailor some kind of a bioweapon to target people that are not of their ethnic group. Now, how does the Department of Defense know this? Well, because the Department of Defense has been doing exactly the same thing. The people who are working in the bioweapon facilities that they've done that type of thing to russians russians have been complaining about the dod getting their dna and uh trying to come up with gain-of-function research that's going to be very dna specific and so yes uh all three of them unfortunately are playing that game you know the russians are playing it against us and the chinese are playing it against you know us and the russians and so forth uh when Americans give information to these companies, their data is essentially going to Chinese intelligence, so they know about every one of us. And I would presume that they have a file in China. Well, you better presume that the government has a file about each and every one of us, and you should be most worried about that, frankly. Uh, as we look at the number of people, as I talked about this earlier, you know, how, how many people killed and dying from these twin jabs from uh, Trump? As we look at uh, the anniversary of 9 uh, 11 and the Twin Towers and other things. Well, as I pointed out last week, 84% rise in excess mortality of millennials. And uh, my son was talking to me about that. He goes, really, stop and think about that. You know, when you elevate that by the fact that a lot of people like him of that age have uh, not been jabbed, well, then it gets really high. Uh, I don't know what percentage of millennials, but if it's kind of uh, similar to uh, the rest of the uh, population, maybe about two-thirds of them double-jabbed. So if um, you're looking at this 84% rise in excess mortality for millennials, if that is happening with only two-thirds of them jabbed, well, then you're talking about a 125% rise for those who are actually jabbed in mortality rates, more than double. Uh, if you are talking about uh, only maybe about 50% of them jabbed, because I don't know that, um, what, what the percentage is of people who've been jabbed twice, and that's really where the big, big risk is. Uh, so if you're looking at that, you're looking at 168% or more, and that's uh, even, even bigger. Uh, so in January 2022, how did they come up with this? Uh, going back to the One America CEO, the insurance company, Scott Davidson. He said, you know, this is like something you wouldn't expect to see like every once, every 200 years. This is more than three uh, sigma away from standard deviation. This is, these guys live by probability. That's how they make so much money because they, they are capable of analyzing these things and looking at trends. But of course, the ridiculous thing that he did was to say, well, this jumped up in the third quarter of 2021 when the coercion really began. And it continued in the fourth quarter. But he said, uh, these are people who are being identified as these excess deaths are not being identified as COVID. But I know that it had to be COVID, he said. It had to be COVID. Well, why didn't we see these types of deaths the previous year uh, when there was no vaccine? But then we see it when there is a vaccine. But instead, he wants to toe the line. I mean, we're talking about ESG here, right? Uh, you've got to do what the government wants. You've got to push their narrative. So he says, well, I, it's got to be COVID, and we know that the only people dying from COVID are the unvaccinated. Well, that's not the case at all. So that's how they got this information. They said, and the 35 to 44 age group is even worse, uh, not just 84%, but 100% excess mortality. When you look at athletes, you've got 1,249 athlete heart attacks, 847 dead since last year. I mean, that's even worse. Now you've got to have an EKG in order to play high school sports in a lot of different jurisdictions. This is the key thing. This is what is so outrageous about this. As everybody rightfully is concerned and memorializing the people who were killed on 9-11, no one even wants to say the names or the numbers of those that have been killed with the twin injections. That's it for today's broadcast. Thank you for joining us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple unsophisticated, ordinary, but each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidknightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidNightshow.com
5: Walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit
0: pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim—all after you hit the gym. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim—all after you hit the gym. Grab a stationary bike and go for a spin. Dribble, score, and take home a win. Become a lifeguard to save the day and try AquaFit along the way. Price is so low you're gonna flip for more than just a gym membership. Click on the link and see what you think, then take a walk to your local croc.